Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. How long does it take to tackle a home project? With Angie, you could cross it off your list before this ad is over. Just tell us what you need. Indoor or outdoor, repair or redesign. And we handle the rest. Sending a top pro to get it done. You don't have to lift a finger, except to tap the screen or click the mouse. Plus, Angie is free to use. So bring us your next home project and we'll bring it home. Download the app or go to Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I to get started. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He scores! It's back to a one-goal game. Good work by Kyer to get it back. They shoot, they score! Tarasenko ties the game 3-3. Three three. Great defending, but it comes back. McDavid with Dreisaitl. Save made, rebound, they score. The Oilers get the overtime win here tonight. It was determined the play was offside. There wow. is no goal. So Listen, what a break and what a challenge by the St. Louis Blues. Jordan Kyrou's had a terrific game tonight. Offensively and defensively, and he brings it in. Slows down. Deke shoots, scores. High glove. Blues get first blood in the shootout. He picks it up. Another left-handed shot coming. Bennington's way down the left wing. Bennington way out. Moves it in. Shot save. Bennington bring out the Zamboni. A come from behind shootout win and gutsy game for the Blues in Edmonton tonight. That's what it sounded like right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN last night as the Blues win a big one, not in overtime, but in the shootout alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, that was the game I've been looking for from this team. I didn't know if they had that in them. It was gutsy. It was grinded out. It was mostly at five on five with the way that they were able to win. Bennington comes up with a big time stop. Robert Thomas not a great game for most of it, but comes up big when you needed him. And how about Jordan Cairo, who played, I think, his best game of the season thus far. Comes up with a massive play on the four check. Ends up getting the puck over to Vladdy for what was considered to be a shorthanded goal there to keep them in it, to extend the game, and at least earn them a point at the time. That was one hell of a win last night in Edmonton. 
Alex, I was listening to you last night after the game. I was so juiced up. I said, I got to listen to this, this post-game show uh -huh. with my guy, Alex Ferrario. I know you were fired up. What was your reaction last night after you saw that victory? All aboard the comeback train. Here it comes, boys. Jump on board. That was the performance that I think this fan base has been waiting for, for them to fight back into it. And it felt like it was the Florida Panthers game where, you know, they were down and they fought their way back and they tied it up and then they win it. But it, it took away a little bit of the of the intrigue with it because, you know, they were missing one of their players. They were playing down a guy, and it was against the Eastern Conference, and it was a middling Florida Panthers team. You know, and then you felt like that Colorado game could have been it, and it was just kind of a punch in the gut when Rantanen scores the goal late and then gets the overtime. And you're like, well, as much as you want to jump on board, this team's still missing that final punch. They got that final punch against the Edmonton Oilers, and that was the game to me, where everything went against them, but they found a way to prevail through it. I mean, think of it. It, it. Joey said it best on the broadcast last night. You can have one bench miner go against you, and you're probably looking at that game going, Matt, not our night. To have three bench miners go against you in the first period. Including one where you literally sent out the wrong unit. It, well, no, you sent out the, the wrong correct player. unit, <laughs> but then ended up putting on the list that you were going to start, for whatever reason, Braden Shin. That was a weird it, one. It's funny I've too, never seen that one before. I, I mentioned it on uh, first intermission because I can't remember it, and maybe somebody on our text line who's an avid Blues fan will, but there was a game under Ken Hitchcock where they did the same thing but it wasn't caught until the Blues scored a goal. Mm. And then the goal was like, nope, well, that's not going to happen, and the Blues get a penalty for it. But regardless, that happens. Then you give up a power play goal. And I loved the moment in that first period when they gave up that Hyman goal. Craig Berube went up and down the bench, and he told everyone, that's on me, guys. Go get this one blanking back. And they go out there, they tie it up. Second period, you give up another power play goal, a goal that's just filthy by Connor McDavid, and yet you still come away in that second period, I thought, as the better team. And then the third period, you just ran away with it. Thomas scores late. Tarasenko gets that late goal. The overtime, the bounces finally went in your favor, which I think is an important factor in this also. That game could have ended in a loss, and I would still be having the same reaction to you right now. BK. I said going into overtime, the fact that they got a point out of that one. Absolutely. Is, like Everything else from there was gravy. Them finding a way to get two is remarkable. Like, nothing short of it. Because there were, like, seven different dip-your-head types of moments in that game. And for the vast majority of this season, I'm not the one that's saying it. The coach has said this is a team that's fragile. This is a team that doesn't have a lot of confidence. This is a team that doesn't bounce back particularly well. They bounced back last night. They were not fragile. They were emotionally stable from start to finish. Jordan Bennington was awesome. He used the emotion in the correct way. He directed it towards the game. Like, that's the team that I remember watching last night. All I could do while watching the game, especially in the third period, was say, I, I remember this team. Mm -hmm. I, I remember watching this exact type of a game. It was almost exactly one year ago where they found this game. And I remember it, it, it wasn't the exact same. But just the the mental fortitude, the way where you could you could feel. Last night, I could feel the game start to shift in their direction after the Benner save with about seven minutes to go in the third period. I remember last year, remember that game against Nashville? I think it was in like February or March, if I'm not mistaken. Was that the game where Clem Costin scored his first NHL goal and I it called was not. it? Uh, it was the game where they scored, I think it was three third period goals to pull away. Oh, and yeah. They won that one like seven to four, if it I'm not mistaken. It was a late Vladimir Tarasenko goal, too, yeah. I think, that tied it up. 
that was the game that it reminded me of because that was the one last year where I was like, the momentum completely swung in the direction of the Blues and there was just nothing the Predators could do to pull it away from the Blues. That's how I felt last night where it was like, there's just something about the feel in that arena. It feels like the Blues are going to win this ga game. Like somehow the Cosmos are going to go against the Edmonton Oilers to make sure that the Blues get two points here. And that's somehow exactly what happened. Did you say Cosmos because you did. really want a Cosmetolitan drink right now? You're big into those, you aren't try you? try that again? Cosmo what? Cosmetolitan? Cosmopolitan? There it was a late night last night, man. Post game didn't end until about 11.55. So, so you're big into epiphanies, right, BK? You Absolutely. have these all the time. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. I had one last night, and I, I have a comp for this game. And you know us. We're all about comps. People are going to hate this. I hate that I have to say it, but yeah. it's what the game reminds me of. February 5th, 2095. 1985. Tanner, were you alive then? No. no. I'm not even I sure I was a thought. <laughs> you weren't, buddy. February 9th of when? 2019. I was alive then. <laughs> I know. Here it comes. Here it comes, right. guys. Stanley Cup comp. I'm not calling this team a Stanley Cup champion. Hey, another Nashville game. <laughs> was it really? No, that was the Florida Panthers game, wasn't it? Uh, not on February 9th. February, February 5th. 5th, that's what I said. My bad. February 5th. It's okay. I got to listen better. So Florida Panthers, here's why I bring this up. Because you were already in the middle of, you had won two games, but the Florida Panthers game, you were down 2 nothing with like 10 minutes to go in the third period. And this one looked like, all right, it was probably going to ruin the streak. The roller coaster season continues. You win a couple, you lose a couple. You fight your way back and you win that game in regulation with like less than 10 minutes to go in the third period against the Florida Panthers. That was the moment. And I remember this because I was doing post game for that game. And I said, holy blank, this team just figured something out. I said the same thing about the Blues last night when they, when Thomas scored that goal and then when they just kept pressuring and pressuring and pressuring. I said, damn, this team just figured something out. I don't know if this is going to result in an 11-game win streak. Probably not be because cool. it would be very cool. That was a historical run. But what I am saying is I comp that game last night to that Florida Panthers one because that was the game that I feel they found their confidence. They found their groove back where they said, we are going to be a tough team to play when we play the right way. They played the right way against Nashville, and they won that one in overtime. They played the right way against Colorado, and they just coughed it up late. I feel like this is trending in the right direction the way that that one did. No coincidence that that was a long road trip for the Blues in February where the Blues have this road trip right now going into the holidays. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the uh, 636. Hey, guys, look who woke up fired up a Lifetime Christmas movie and wrapped himself in the Snuggie. Sounds like BK found his Christmas cheer. Brandon Claus is back. Ho, ho, ho. I made it very clear what I needed to see during this uh, during this stretch to be able to buy back into the Blues. And it was going to take more than one game for me to buy back into them. And that remains the case. I need to see them go something like 3-1-1 one, and one to be able to really buy into them after this five-game winning streak. That being said, last night's the exact style of play that I wanted to see from them. We said this going into yesterday, Alex. It was, it's not just so much about the points. It's not just so much about the record as it is about the play. Did you find something in your game that feels like you can actually stick with that throughout the course of the regular season? Last night felt sustainable. Last night felt like a game where, like, you could play that over and over again, whether it's against a quality opponent or a bad opponent, and you're going to find a way to win more often than not. So if that's the way they play against Calgary and Vancouver 
Seattle, in Vegas. They probably won't win all of them because the, the puck bounces won't go their way in all of no, them. No, man, I just said 11-game win streak. Did you not hear me? I'd, I'd be into that. <laughs> but if they can play that way against these teams, they're probably going to go something like 3-1-1 one, and one in this stretch. And, yeah, I'll, I'll be ready to, at a minimum, allow myself to get hurt again. Because I don't know if this team has what it takes to really go on a run. But if they go 3-1-1 and one and one here, I want to find out if they do. Well, we don't even know if Doug Armstrong views this team as a team that can go on a run. Doug Armstrong might view this and say, great, but I'm still going to make this move because I don't feel like this is a competitive team. The Blues are the only people that can change Doug Armstrong's mind. Here's why this one, too, kind of falls into that category that you're talking about, BK. It wasn't the prettiest game defensively. It wasn't the prettiest game on special teams. Heck, it wasn't the prettiest game at times. But the Blues still found a way to win. It was that relentless style. I mean, their penalty kill gave up two power play goals. Their power play went 0 for 4. And in two of those four power plays, they didn't even get a shot on goal. The only thing that was perfect about the Blues was Jordan Bennington. But and Kyra. And Kyra, yeah. You're, you're I would say Kyra correct. was as close to perfect as he could be last night. But the fact that you still won that game tells me that that's going to tell a locker room like, hey, we just saw the recipe for success. Now it's a matter of not getting away from this. And you're going to have your ups and downs through a season, but for a majority of the remainder of this season, are you going to put together that full 60-minute effort, that relentless style that Craig Bruby wants? Because that's how they all play. Jordan Cairo got the assist on the tying goal from forechecking behind yep. the net. He didn't get the the, the the assist to Vladimir Tarasenko off of a rush up the ice with his speed. He did it from puck t- or stick checking Connor McDavid behind the net. That's how you win hockey games in the NHL. Well, let's hear from Joey Vitale. This is what he said after the game last night during, or actually during the game. This was at a certain point. I think it was over right before shoot. Yeah, Jordan Cairo's shootout attempt talking about what a win like that can do for a team in command right now this is a win if they can pull off Terps, this is a win that can really propel your season in a much better direction as they start this five-game road trip that's right that is the type of win in, in history the victors get to write the history and last night the blues were the one that got to write the history that gets erased if you don't take advantage of it if you go into Calgary and lose and you, you you end up putting your head down and then you let that carry over into Vancouver and then you just go up against really quality opponents and maybe you don't play an A game, you play a B or a C game and get beat against Seattle or, Van- or Vegas. Okay, yeah, last night ends up being a blip on the radar and we look back on it and say, man, that was a really fun mid-December hockey game. But if you take advantage of it, if you allow this to carry over into, to, to, into tonight... If you learn something from the style that you played, if you use that urgency, you bottle it up and you're able to carry it forward. That's how it becomes the win that ends up propelling the season. On that note, Alex, if it does, if they get on the right track, if they end up making the playoffs, last year I wanted nothing more than to see the Blues play against the Rangers in Madison Square Garden. There was something about those games between those teams that just felt big. It felt like that was the matchup that we were all kind of working toward. This is the matchup I want to see this year. Bingo. This is it. I I want to see Edmonton versus the Blues because for whatever reason, the Edmonton Oilers bring out the best in the St. Louis Blues. All three games this year have been highly entertaining. All three games this year in regulation have been relatively low scoring, all things considered. It was 3-3 at the end of regulation this time around. It was 2-0 the first time around. And the other game was 3-1. to 
this is a series that I think all of us, if the Blues can make it happen, deserve to see. I want to see Edmonton versus St. Louis in the playoffs. We were robbed last year of a Western Conference final that probably would have been one of the best series in Blues history. I mean, watching Blues and Oilers play in a Western Conference final would have been fascinating, and we were robbed of it last year. This is why I want the one through eight in the playoffs, not your expanded playoff BS. I want one through eight because you get more matchups like this. You don't have to wait till the third round of the playoffs to play a team from the Pacific Division because there are some really damn good teams in the Pacific Division that I want to see. Blues and Wild was a fun series last year. Blues and Avalanche, heck, that was as entertaining as you can ask for. But I want Blues Oilers. I want Blues Flames. You want some of those matchup. Blues Golden Knights, Blues Kraken if the Kraken get in. There are so many good teams in the Pacific Division. Oh, I'm honing in. This is the one. But you see, I I know it already. This is the one that I want. Here's the thing, though. I don't want this one in the first round. I don't care when it happens. I do because I don't think these two teams. No, I'm not. I just want to see them in the playoffs. At this point, if if we have to discuss like when they play, no, well, the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs, and we've we've got good problems. Hear me out for a minute. These two teams play each other in the first round. Somebody's gonna get robbed of not getting an opportunity to go deeper into the postseason. These two teams should see each other in a second round in the semifinals or in the Western Conference final, which is why they were robbed last year. But this is a this is a damn good playoff series if these two teams go head to head. And all you can think of watching the three times these teams have played against each other is this what postseason is going to look like if the Blues can get there. He's Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson back in studio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Me and Alex are broadcasting live from the EMB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. We are waiting eagerly the Blues versus the Calgary Flames. Alex will have pregame coverage for that one coming up tonight at 7 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Your home for the Blues puck drop. Blues versus Flames tonight at 8. Coming up next, we continue our conversation about the Blues. We referenced Jordan Bennington a few times in this segment. We got to give him a little bit more love because that win doesn't happen without a specific save that he made midway through the third period last night. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Backhanded in front, sliding save, huge save, Bennington, two in a row. He lost his stick this time, he kept it out with the glove and the blocker. And the Blues clear the zone. Absolutely unbelievable save, keep an eye on that one. That's the save that, in my opinion, Alex, allowed the Blues to have an opportunity to be in that game late. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 10 minutes, we're talking to Mike Petriello. For my money, one of the best baseball analysts in the country. want to get his thoughts specifically on the Cardinals' pitching situation. Does he think that they made a mistake by not diving into the top-end pitching market? We'll ask Mike Petriello of MLB Network that question coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Jordan Bennington is the bellwether for the Blues. Now, this is the case for a lot of teams. You look at the goalie, and the goal, the team will go or won't go as they go. This was the, the old saying about Dexter Fowler with the Cubs, right? We go as you go. And for Benner this year, have you seen his splits, Alex, in the Blues losses versus the Blues wins? Yep. It's wild. Like, I know that for a lot of teams, you could probably look at their goalie and they're obviously better in the wins than they are in the losses. Jordan Bennington goes from being the best goalie in the NHL by a wide margin to being one of the worst goalies in the NHL by a wide margin, depending on if the Blues win or lose. Don't break those statistics down for one individual who's a hockey writer because he will not agree with that. No, but I I think this is... 
I, I think this speaks to a the Blues play in front of him, and B, the fact that Bennington can, let's be honest, be a little bit streaky. In their wins this year, there are 11 of them. By the way, there are 11 losses in his starts. Uh, Jordan Bennington has a 940 save percentage and a 1.7 goals allowed on average. Let me say that again. That's good. 1.7 goals allowed on average. That's unbelievable. In their losses, though, it's an 839 save percentage with a near five goals allowed on average. It's like two different players are in net for the Blues, depending on if it's a good night or a bad night. But, There's really no in between. Think for him of right those now. games that have just been so bad. It it, it blows up in front of Jordan Binnington. And to, to a be point. fair, some of it recently was on him. Like th- there was a stretch recently. Most of the year, I, think, I don't think it's been his fault. I think that Penguins Rangers game is that stretch that you're talking about where it got away from him because he gave up some bad goals in that, and that of course was the antics that get you so fired 100%. up. That Pittsburgh Rangers game, that's the only streak that I can look at Jordan Binnington and say that was probably the worst go he's been this season. And the reason why I bring it up is because last night, man, I thought to myself, where would this team be without Jordan Binnington? The because, Ducks. man, they they have had so many times this year where there's a save that needs to be made or there's a stretch during the game where he just keeps a minute. He gives them an opportunity. And it's just a matter of buying them time. And that's what happened last night. That save that you heard coming back from break, that was the type of save where you look back at it in the moment and you say, if the Blues end up tying this one, if they end up getting a point out of this one, keep an eye on that. Because that's the save that gave them the chance to have any sort of an opportunity to be able to come back. So I wanted to give Jordan Bennington some of his some of his roses because I've I've been critical of him this year, especially with the antics. That was amazing what we saw last Jordan night. Jordan Bennington, in my opinion, he is the foundation that the Blues are building their team on. And what Jordan Bennington has done this year has provided the Blues an opportunity to figure their game out. Robert Bortuzzo had a, a quote last night. Uh, with Curbs and Joey on the broadcast, and he said, "You know, Bennington is a he's a he's a he's a brick wall for us." But he said, "What he does is he's giving us time to figure out our problems defensively." Yep. And he, and, Bo- and Bortuzzo said, "We're figuring those out." But Bennington has been there every single night for them. Even those games that have blown up in his face that I tweeted out, you take those away, you're talking about one of the best goalies in the NHL. Look at those games up until the second period against the New York Islanders back in October. It was a one nothing deficit, and then it just all blew up on Jordan Bennington. The L.A. Kings game, it was a 2-1 game in favor of the Kings until it all blew up in front of them. Every game, with the exception of that Pittsburgh Penguins and New York Rangers game, Bennington has kept it a one-goal game for the Blues. And what really gets me with him is when he makes comments like he did to Jeremy Rutherford on the Athletics saying, like, hey, this is the NHL. Let's blank and go. I'm sick of this. It shouldn't take us this long. you got to back that up. Since he made those comments, do you know what his numbers are? They're amazing. Yeah, he's two zero and one with a nine thirty save percentage, and then one ninety three goals against average. I should have asked, I should have known asking the stats guy if he was going to know what the stats were on that. I mean, yeah, I thought on, I was going to catch you bad, off guard there. That was a bad question. Damn. That was a BK buildup. That was my bad. But that's I want my guy to back up what he's saying, and Jordan Bennington is backing up what he is saying. And frankly, if this is the guy that you're going to have this season. And it allows your team to figure out their shortcomings on the ice defensively. If they figure that out, and that's a big if because we thought they did and they didn't. It's a Cardinals pitching if. Absolutely. Don't like how you did that. You're just doing it's, a. It's a, worse than that, though. Yeah, very. Whoa. I'm not sure it is. I think they're pretty similar. Yeah, I think they're actually pretty close together. If, if Bennington continues this play and allows his team to figure it out, 
because last night wasn't the sexiest game defensively. It was a good game, but Bennington allows you to figure it out. And come February, if they're playing this way and Bennington's still locked in, this is a dangerous team if they can get to that level. It's like an NFL team. It reminds me a little bit of this. That has a rookie quarterback, and they lean on the running game, and they lean on the defense to be able to get them through early on. Right? It, it, in some ways, honestly, it's, it's kind of like – what the Jets tried to do with their defense early in the season with Zach Wilson. And eventually it's just very clear that Wilson's just not the guy for them, but their defense was good enough. It kept them in games that eventually they were like, we can't hold up this long. And that's how Jordan Bennington has felt for much of the season. But the one thing that I would add to that, Alex, is it's all about the consistency. Now this is Jordan Bennington. This is the blues defense. This is their offense. This is their five on five game. It's everything about the team this year. They've been super inconsistent. It's been this roller coaster of emotion. I heard Joey talking about it earlier today, the game last night and really the season as a whole has felt like going to Disney world. We were like, all right, we're here. This is going to be awesome. And then you get into your first line. You're like, all right, it's four hours until we get through our first line. The kids are all screaming. You're hot. It's gross outside. And then the ride breaks down. You're like, this is the worst. But then Sounds you go like on your next right, place on great, earth, right? Yeah, exactly. The Blues this year when Jordan Bennington starts, won their first three, lost their next five, won their next six, lost their next six. They've got points in their last three straight that he starts. It is this roller coaster of emotion. If you can get a little more inconsistent or more consistency, rather, you, more you eliminate some of that inconsistency. Instead of losing six straight, lose two and then break that streak. If you can, instead of losing five straight, lose two break the streak in between that's how this team gets back to being a playoff team I'll say this right now and I don't know if it's going to happen because they're not going to have a morning skate I start Jordan Bennington tonight I would not I start him tonight but you know why I wouldn't for the same reason that you would actually oh you're not starting him because of Nazem Kadri 100% no no that's why I'm starting him I he's, he's this is a date he has had circled on his schedule since they released the NHL schedule last year I I think sometimes you have to save people from themselves. And after he had last night, if there was no like real workload last night, which was never going to be the case, you're playing against Edmonton. But if he had 20 shots against and it ends in regulation, I'd consider it. But it was a heavy workload. Plus, you went to overtime. Plus, you ended up going to the shootout. A crazy emotional game. You get into, I think uh, Joey said earlier today, they got into Calgary at 2 a.m. I, I wouldn't start him as a result of all of that. Plus... I think that the emotions might be almost too much for him tonight. And to save him from himself, I would go with Grice tonight, and then I would start him maybe in the back-to-back, the, the one that's coming up. Maybe you get both of them in that stretch. I would not go back to Benner tonight. And, and it, that's going to be the conversation because getting in at 2 a.m. is really going to change some things. I still, even though that went to a shootout, I don't know if he was overly worked in that game, but I think a focused and a – Goal-oriented Jordan Bennington is a dangerous Jordan Bennington, and I think that's why I'm looking at this game against Calgary where he's focused on Nazem Kadri. I think I start him tonight. I don't play him in Vancouver, give him the start in Seattle, then two days off, then he plays Vegas, because then he's going to have five days off in between games. So that'll be an interesting decision from Craig Berube, though. 65780 is the covered service text line. Ask us anything coming up in 15 minutes. Mike Petriello of MLB Network next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner.
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Always enjoy going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend, the baseball writer and analyst for MLB.com and MLB Network. He's Mike Petriello joining us here on the show. Mike, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy holidays to you both. Absolutely insane to you. Let's start kind of big picture here, Mike. I'm just curious, you know, it's it's been a wild off season already. It kind of feels like things are getting more back to normal. And maybe this is, they always said like the new normal or whatever. I think that gets overstated, but it, it almost feels like it is a bit of a new normal with the length of some of these contracts that we're seeing. What's been your biggest takeaway so far from what we've seen this off season? Well, I think you're absolutely right about getting back to a sense of normalcy. And that's not just in the sense of whatever stage of the pandemic we're in, but also the fact that it's the first year of a new collective bargaining agreement, right? So last year, tons of uncertainty. And now for at least the next couple of years, you know what the rules are going to be. And I think that every time there's a new agreement that kind of motivates teams to be a little more aggressive in their spending. Um, and that's not even including just the fact that Steve Cohen is a very unique owner on top of all of that. So, I mean, that's been good to see. And I think that's sort of been driving some of the length of these deals. And I know that, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year deals are stunning for a lot of people as they are for me. But I think it's pretty clear that it's not that teams like magically think 40 year olds are going to be great players. It's that they've evaluated the new CBA. They think this is what makes the most sense for them in terms of keeping the average annual value. And to be honest, for a lot of these GMs, if it doesn't work out, then 11 years from now, that's somebody else's problem. <laughs> Mike, uh, out of the three shortstops that signed those long term deals this offseason, what team do you think is going to regret it the most? Well, I don't know if I'd say regret because they're all very good players, right? The the player of the three I think I like the least, which is a, a way I hate to say it because he's extremely good, is probably Xander Bogarts. Um, just because there were some weird things in his underlying power metrics last year, which may have been injury-driven. He had a collision with a teammate where I hurt his uh, wrist and shoulder, I believe. And I don't look at him as a long-term shortstop, um, at least not in the same way I would for Correa or Swanson. And, I, you know, again, I, I like him very much. I think he's going to help the Padres. I think they're going to be a very good team. But if I had to rate the three guys who signed, well, it's going to be Curran, Turner 2, and Bogarts 3. Yeah, that's that's the one that I was looking at as well. I, I loved the idea of Bogarts as potentially being an option for the Cardinals. And then I saw the money that he got. I was like, okay, nope. I, I guess I get it. It makes sense to me that they didn't end up getting into that market. Mike, another guy that we talked a lot about this offseason for the Cardinals as a potential fit was Carlos Rodon. And yesterday he officially signed with the New York Yankees. And it's possible he was just always going to sign with the Yankees. The reports from the very beginning were that he kind of wanted to play there and there was a clear fit between the two sides. Six years, $162 million is a lot of money, but it's not like a crazy outlandish out of this world amount. Do you think that the Cardinals made a mistake by not diving into that market? Yeah, what I've learned so far this winter is that whatever your expectations were of the free agent market six weeks ago, you can't react to deals now based on that without having like paid attention to the entire hot stove. Because you're right, you know, at the beginning of the winter, six and one sixty two for Odon uh, probably would have made my jaw drop. And I saw it last night, and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, great, that that yep. sounds perfectly normal. As far as the Cardinals go, I mean, certainly they were not the only other team in the mix here, right? The Twins badly wanted him, the Giants wanted him, a couple other teams, I'm sure. I think it's a miss for them just in the sense that he was the only remaining guy who was really going to raise the ceiling of their starting pitching, right? Like they've got starting pitchers. They've got six or seven or eight guys that you would feel comfortable rolling out 
to start a game next year, which is great. Like that's fantastic depth, but there's not anyone I really feel like strongly comfortable about to be your number one starter, you know, like Flaherty when he's healthy, sure. But it's been such a long time. And as you all know, just about nobody aside from Matt's has signed past this upcoming season. So you could go add some depth. You could get Waka back or Alfaldi or somebody, but those are number four starters. You know, if you wanted a number one, which Rodon is, he was the only guy out there. And for a rotation that doesn't really miss a lot of bats, I think it was a missed opportunity to bring in someone who's really going to give you that who's going to start game one of a playoff series. Is that going to be their shortcoming this season, Mike, not having that ace in their rotation in terms of competing with the other top teams? I think so. I think that's especially true when you get to the postseason. And, you know, not to diminish any of these guys, but you didn't really want to be in a situation where Jose Quintana was starting such an important game. And I know he pitched well, obviously. Uh, but, you know, you look at the other teams. You look at the Mets, right? Oh, they got two living legends atop their lineup. You look at the uh, the Phillies, you know. You've got Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler, you know, on and on and on. You can't really get through the postseason without at least, like, one fire-breathing ace. And I'm not sure the Cardinals have that. Is that something that you think you can typically acquire at the trade deadline? Because I'm with you, Mike. That's been my concern, and it's why I argued that they should be in on Carlos Rodon. But I, I look at them now, and it's like, okay, maybe they're just going to see what this looks like for Flaherty at the beginning of the season. And if it doesn't end up working out with him being a number one again, they, they try to get a guy at the deadline. How likely is that? I think the division they're in helps make that a little more reasonable because you look at the rest of the division, you know, the three teams at the bottom, the Reds, the Pirates, and even the Cubs, I really don't like as being real contenders, you know, and I'm never going to count out the Brewers based on the fact they always seem to overperform what we think, but they haven't really done that much this winter either. So for me, if the Cardinals are the clear, you know, number one team in the central and you can maybe say, okay, well, we're going to see what happens. We're going to see who's healthy and all this. And then you can look for a, you know, an ace type at the deadline, but you can't count on that guy being there because you look at the teams who are likely to be selling, you know, are you getting an ace out of the A's? Are you getting an ace out of the Pirates, out of the Nationals? Like probably not. And if by some miracle there is one of those guys out there, right? Like let's say the Angels say, okay, Shohei Otani's available. Hmm. Well, there's going to be 15 other teams that are going to want him. You know, you can't count on him being there. With that all of this talk, Mike, of us talking about them missing that ace at the front of their rotation and it possibly being the shortcomings, do you feel like the offseason that the Cardinals had of signing Wilson Contreras, do you feel like their offense sets up enough to where they can overcome that lack of an ace in their rotation? I think it's going to be better than it was last year because I, I know you know nobody in, in his final season really wanted to say anything negative about Yadier Merlina, but the bat was not there, right? <laughs> the bat was a huge negative behind the plate. I got a lot of pushback when I said they should be pinching yeah, in late-game situations. Mike, why do you hate St. Louis? Why do you hate the Cardinals? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Listen, like, you got to be a Hall of Famer. I get it, all of it. But over the last like three seasons, the bat is just – he was not there for his bat. Let's say that. He was there for the defense and the name on the back of his jersey. So it's not like you're you're taking Contreras and saying, okay, I'm going from average to above average. You're going from like unplayable to above average. You know that is a huge improvement. But it's really going to come down to, and I don't have a good answer for you on this. What kind of Dylan Carlson do you get? What kind of Tyler O'Neill do you get? You know, I'm a, I have higher hopes on Carlson. I think just because he's so young. You know, he had a great season and then a poor season, and he was injured. And I think the talent is there. I'm a little less sure about O'Neill. But the thing I keep coming back to is 
the time frame here is somewhat limited. Like I know Paul Goldschmidt had a phenomenal year last year. We all know that. Well, he's going to be 36 years old. <laughs> like time is not aging backwards here. And if he's not that guy, um, then the lineup is going to be in a little bit more trouble because it wasn't a deep lineup last year, but you had him and you had Arenado and, you know, pools when he was doing his thing. And it wasn't great beyond, I don't know, new bar. So it's improved over last year but I don't think it's a good enough offense where you're going to be, you know, putting up eight runs a game and overcoming the fact that you don't really have an ace. Mike Petriello is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at MLB.com and you can see him occasionally on MLB Network as well. He's a great follow on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. Uh, Mike, I did want to ask you just kind of pushing forward here for the Cardinals this offseason. It is not the same free agent market that it was at the beginning of the offseason. I think like 30 of the top 50 free agents by most accounts have already been signed. Is there anything in particular that at this point in time you think that the Cardinals could or should do that you would like to see them do? Well, I think every single contender available should still want to improve the bullpen. (laughs) That's not specific to the Cardinals. That's true of everybody. There is an argument to go get like an Evaldi or somebody just in the sense where it's like, I don't have a ton of confidence in, you know, is Wainwright going to give you 32 starts? Is Flaherty going to give you 32 starts? What I think would be interesting is uh, you can see if you could try to do some kind of contract for contract trade out of Paul DeYoung. And I'm not entirely sure what that would be, but I'm perfectly comfortable with Tommy Edmond as a shortstop. Like, I have no problem with that there. You know, Donovan and uh, Gorman playing second base. There's not really a spot for DeYoung on the team, I don't think. So could you flip him to somewhere where they've got, I don't know, a, a lefty reliever who hasn't worked out? I don't have a great name for you off the top of my head. But, it, you know, since they have missed out on, like, the top-level free agents, and I don't think Swanson's a great fit, that does seem to be something interesting they could try. Two more questions that I have for you, Mike, and let's stick on the bullpen. Is there a name free agency wise that you feel like makes sense for the Cardinals or the guy that you like? Uh, you know, it was a pretty thin relief market to begin with, right? Because Edwin Diaz got retained and Robert Suarez got retained. And there's, uh, you know, not that much left. I would be pretty interested um, in Taylor Rogers. You know, I know when he got traded last year in the Josh Hader deal, it didn't go well for him. But this is a guy who's been really good for a number of years. And when I look at the underlying, you know, skill set, it's not like the velocity is massively down. It's not like he's, you know, pitch movement is massively down. This is a guy I would be willing to bet on success because he's not necessarily a big name. I don't think people realize like just how good he had been, especially when he was with Minnesota. And that's a guy I could see really making an impact on the team. Final one for me, Mike. I've seen a lot of chatter about Brian Reynolds with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Do you feel like he gets moved, and does it make any sense for the Cardinals to make a call about that? <laughs> you know, you guys would probably know the answer to this better than I would. Um, when is the last time there's been a notable trade between the Pirates and the Cardinals? I cannot imagine it's been recently. Jose because... Quintana? Yeah, Quintana. <laughs> no. That's, that's okay. a very different level of trade than this would be. The answer is, like, basically never. They got an ace in that trade, the Cardinals did. Yeah, it was I don't know, was Andy Van Slake a trade or a free agent back in the day? I can't yeah, remember. But it's, it's listen, been more I, than twenty years. Exactly. Listen, um I, I personally were I running a team, I would have no problem trading in the division, right? If I'm not gonna win, I'm going to take away top prospects from my competitors, that'd be great. Doesn't seem to be the way that teams are actually approaching this. I don't think the Pirates actually want to trade him. You know, like I don't I don't think his trade demand really means much. Like he's expressing he's not happy, but he's not going to hold out. It's not like he's not going to show up at camp, so he'll still be there. And I think if they want to put him on the market, there's probably going to be teams, you know, more desperate. Like the Marlins are desperate for an outfielder. I think the Yankees would be a great fit. There's a bunch of other teams that would really like him. So is he sure? Uh, 
by the time you get the market, I think you're going to have answers to some questions about the guys you already have. You're going to know more about Carlson. You're going to know more about O'Neill. You know, guys in the minors like Walker, you'll learn a little bit more about. So I think it wouldn't be a trade for the current Cardinals roster. It would be, by the time he's out there, a trade for a team you know a little bit more about. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this one and appreciate the time as always. Is there a pitcher out there that whether it's now or closer to the deadline you think is maybe a, a number one or a number two, a front-end starter that you think could be of interest for teams that are looking to trade for a pitcher? Is there a starter out there that you think might be interesting for the Cardinals? And like Pablo Lopez is kind of the stock answer here. Is there anybody else? That's a fascinating question because – you know, you've really got two groups of teams, right? You've got teams where I can sit here right now and say, they're not going to be good, and there's not going to be anybody I want to trade for. And then you've got another group of teams where it's like, if they're not good, then it might be because the starting pitchers weren't pitching well, right? You might think about them differently at the time. But if they come to mind, I'm not sure that either of them would actually be traded. I love Herman Marquez from the Rockies. I think he's so underrated. I think because he pitches at cores, the numbers don't look great. They were ever to make him available. That would be a guy I would go all in on. And uh, the other name I would have for you is uh, an old friend from back in the Cardinals minor league system back in the day, Zach Gallen. You know, if the Diamondbacks fall apart in a very tough division, do they put him out there? Because that would be a guy I think would be extremely interesting. I don't know that the Rockies are picking up the phone right now when the Cardinals call. <laughs> they are. Herman Marquez might be a guy that is of interest. They got $50 million reasons why not to answer that <laughs> yeah. phone. Hey, Mike, I appreciate the time as always, man. It was great to catch up. Have yourself a happy holidays, and we wish you and the New Jersey Devils all the best here as we move forward. Oh, yeah. Oh, I could talk for like 20 more minutes based on that, but I don't think anybody wants that. <laughs> Mike, I tell you what, when the Blues play the Devils, I'm giving you a call for our pregame show because I got a lot of questions about what they've been doing right oh i can't wait i look forward to it guys happy holidays to you and yours thanks Same mike. To you. that's mike petriello here on 101 espn one of my favorite baseball people to talk to uh one of the absolute best in the business herman marquez is interesting uh, his, his okay all right i see where <laughs> alex comes out on that uh last year was was definitely a down year and you look at some of the peripheral numbers on him it it, it wasn't very good for him but there was a time like two years ago where I remember having a lot of conversations about Herman Marquez, not just being interesting, but maybe being the guy Wasn't that the Cardinals him go out there and acquire. John Gray that we were talking a lot about. We talked a lot about John Gray as well. Yeah, that, I mean, I think every Rockies pitcher, I feel like every Rockies player that has ever been a part of their roster has at least been discussed. I remember there was a Charlie Blackman moment. Uh, uh, you remember the Troy Tolowitzki uh, yeah. era? And uh, then Carlos Gonzalez. Remember the yeah. Carlos Gonzalez era? Zach Gallen, though, is super interesting. I don't think they make the trade, though. I don't either. And I actually think that the Diamondbacks have a chance to be pretty good this year. So w w there's a, a million different reasons as to why I don't think that that would happen. But, I mean, he's he's a really good pitcher that would be a huge boost for the Cardinals if they were able to acquire him. He also has a good, decent amount of club control still remaining. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're getting back into the Blues. Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, those guys look like they're getting back on track. And that could be the thing that determines if the Blues end up having to go into a rebuild or a retool if this thing goes sideways. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. Ask us anything coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. the air comfort service text line for ask us anything sports or otherwise feel free to throw those in right now on the air comfort service text line let's start with this one from the 314 hey guys i was wondering if you have any professional advice for a youngster my grandson who is interested in getting into sports media or journalism thanks so much in advance uh my biggest piece of advice and this is what i would give to anybody that wants to get involved in doing sports broadcasting uh writing tv whatever it is that you are interested in is do it like just go do whatever it is that you think you want to do and what i mean by that is if you want to do radio go start a podcast nobody's going to listen to it and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that you're going to get better by doing it and then send that podcast that you did to people that you respect I know that for me, that's what I did. And there were a lot of people that are more than happy to reach back and help people that are younger, that are looking for help on the way up. So do it. And if that means having your parents video you as you try to do a mock sports center type of a show, do that. If you want to write a blog about the sports teams that you love, do that. Do all of the things that you think you might be interested in doing, and you'll get better by continuing to do it and by continuing to get feedback from people who have done it. So that's my biggest piece of advice that I would Yeah, kind of to piggyback off of that, free work is good work in my opinion. And I mean, I started doing that internships, and I don't know if internships are really a thing as much anymore, but a lot of it you have to get college credit for now. I started doing, man, the internships, and even if it wasn't even an internship at a radio station, I mean, I, I met Jeremy Rutherford through my pastor in grade school, and he introduced me to JR, and JR had me shadow him at the post-dispatch for a couple of games, but I, I, this business, whether it's writing, television, radio, it is all about meeting people yep and it is all about relationships and i wouldn't be where i'm at if it wasn't for the relationships ships that i've built um so meet as many people as possible introduce yourself go out of your way to send emails and notes i, I get i i've gotten an email a couple of times from different kids in colleges that just say hey love the show would love to talk about how to get in this business that stuff works because you build a relationship and you don't know who that's going to connect you to yeah, and I, I agree with everything that you guys said. It, it's all about just getting reps, and it's all about making connections and doing as much as you possibly can, e- even if it's something that doesn't uh, sound like appealing to a lot of work. Do it. Show that you're willing to do it, and then a lot of people will take notice of that. Yeah, never never say the word no when it comes to this business. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Wow, BK, really cool advice. The Riz Show says to just do something else. That is something else that I would add is like, uh, this business go- is – I'm going to go with the company line and, you know. This business is really hard. And it got to be ready for stress. The best job in the world when you get to the part where you want to do the job that you have. But there's a lot of crap that you have to get into. I mean, I used to work, like, basically three jobs to make ends meet. I was working essentially from, like, 7 a.m. until 10 p.m. every single day and then going home and prepping the show for the next day when I was working with wheels. Like, you don't make much money. You work a long hours. You don't have weekends. And it does take a toll on both yourself and personal life because you're not going out as much. You're not hanging out with friends or family as much. It, it really does grind on you. But... It's the best job in the world once you get to a place where you've got like a little bit of financial stability. It just takes a really long time to get there. So having people that you can lean on for help, 
Like I literally couldn't be where I am today if I didn't get help from my parents uh, early on in my career. Yeah. So uh, that that's another part of it. it. It's really hard to be understanding of you're not going to make much money early on in your time in this business. And that might be the case for like up to a decade. Yeah. You got to be willing to eat that and it's hard. You got to be willing to work multiple jobs. Yep. I mean, I joke around all the time about being a pest control guy, but just for an example, that Stanley Cup run for the Blues, I was doing the weekend pre and post for KMOX, but I was working pest control Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. In the middle of my work day, I had the leniency to go to Blues practice, and then if I had a Blues game, I'd get off at 4, shower, eat, Go back out and work till 11 o'clock at night. I used to work at Buffalo Wild Wings, and the reason why I applied there is because they had the games on. So I could watch the Cardinals games <laughs> while I was uh, surfing. Now Smart. we know he wasn't working. <laughs> and so that that is, like, I was working in the cocktail area as a server, and while I was producing for Kevin Wheeler, I would watch the Cardinals games or be listening to him overhead while I was working there. So uh, it's a fun job. It's just, it, it, it can be tough. And that's the case for a lot of different jobs, but it certainly is for radio as well. From the 314, guys, what do you think of Craig Kimbrell or Araldis Chapman? Some of those back into the bullpen type of arms for the Cardinals. I like Craig Kimbrell, not particularly interested in Araldis Chapman, but I think you're on the right path there. I think that's the kind of thing that the Cardinals need to add. I love Craig Kimbrell. I hate Araldis Chapman. Don't want anything to do with Chapman. I'd like Kimbrell if I could get it for $10 million or less. Yeah, I, I like the Kimbrell one because he's shown an ability to bounce back before when coming off of a rough year, so I'd be willing to take the risk on him. I don't have interest in Chapman. This was the first year that he's really, truly struggled, so I don't know how he bounces back. And when, when he left the team because he wasn't uh, put on the postseason roster, that's a big no no for me so i i have no interest in him both have pitched to wilson Contreras. there you go six five seven eight oh zero cover uh? service text line tanner you can go ahead and take down the bed uh the final question that we've got here this is something that we have not talked about yet this week it's something that we have not talked about since uh the news came out but i did want to I, I know a lot of you guys have asked about it so i'll go ahead and give you my thoughts real quick uh, from the 314, hey, guys, I know you haven't talked about Danny Mack. I'm hoping that he recovers, and I am hoping for healing for both he and his family. What are your thoughts on the situation as a whole? I heard earlier today the morning show talked about it yesterday. I know BT gave his thoughts along with the fast lane. Uh, I'll just give my quick ones. I worked with Dan for a year on a day-to-day -day basis doing a show with him, and professionally, it is the most fulfilling thing I think I have ever done in this business. Dan is one of the most talented people and maybe the most talented person that I've ever worked with and one of the most talented people in this business, in my opinion. And what happened crushed me. I was emotionally really, really, really upset for him uh, that this happened. It's a decision that <sighs> there's no taking it back. It's happened before. I think that he understands and everybody outside understands why he is no longer going to be doing the Cardinals games. That being said, Man, alcohol, his, alcoholism is a brutal disease, and it is something that when you got it, there is you deal with it every day, every minute of every day. Dan made a mistake. I, you know, I texted Dan right after I saw the news and said, hey, man, I love you, and if there's anything that I can do, if you need to lean on anybody, I'm here for you. And I still feel that way today. So I, I, I'm frustrated by the whole situation, not that he, not, not by the ramifications of it, but that it happened and I'm sad. Um, I'm here for Dan. I love Dan and I want, I want him to, I, I want him to be able to use this and to get better from it. Thank God nobody was hurt in this situation. Um, but it made me sad. Like that, that was, that was my only real reaction. I, I know everybody wants like some kind of hot take or something, but 
I don't think there is a good take to be had there. There really is no take. There's no hot take on this. The only thing you could do is think about the humans involved, and Dan is special to everyone in St. Louis. I got to work with Dan at KMOX and got the privilege to work with him here at 101 ESPN, and uh, he's, an, he's an amazing individual. And the only thing you can do now is hope, pray, and put positive thoughts. If you're the praying kind, put it out there for Dan so that he heals and he's able to find uh, some comfort in all of this and make sure that you're thinking and praying for his family too. Make sure that they're able to come out on the other side of this healthy. That's the only thing that matters. We got this text from the 314. Guys, I'm two years sober. It's exponentially harder than people think. It is a very real disease, and I pray that more people allow themselves to accept that. 100%. Uh, my uncle passed away from what essentially was alcoholism whenever I was really little at the time. Didn't understand what that meant. Uh, over the years, I have learned a lot more about his condition and how it affects not just him, but other people. Um, and I think all of us probably know somebody uh, that whether they're public about it or if it's a private so- private something that, that they just deal with on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's a very real thing and it affects everybody a little bit differently, but it's incredibly difficult to be able to overcome. It gives you the opportunity to always have it in the back of your mind. Somebody's always going through something and kind of keep that in mind when you have some type of confrontation with somebody else or talking with somebody else everyone's got their own things that they're dealing with and all you can do is try and help those people get through whatever it is uh coming up in 15 minutes we'll get back into our typical shenanigans getting into our football pick them for the week it is exclusively nfl picks this week Woo-hoo! we've got nine games to select from yes that's not good for me it's great <laughs> for these two so we'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes but next jordan Cairo and robert thomas getting back on track that is a good thing for the blues not just for this year but for the long-term outlook of the team could be the difference between a rebuild or a retool we'll talk about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the middle it comes Thomas, he scores! It's back to a one-goal game! Jordan Kyrou's had a terrific game tonight. Offensively and defensively, and he brings it in. Slows down. Deke shoots, scores. High glove. Blues get first blood in the shootout. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like right here on 101 ESPN last night as the Blues win in a shootout. Specifically, Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas looking like they are back on track. Robert Thomas is starting to shoot a little bit more, <laughs> which is nice to see. Happy learned how to putt. He had five shots on goal last night. That ties the total, Alex, that he had in his nine previous games. And by the way, those five shots on goal didn't start until midway through the second period. Jordan Kyrou, adding on to that, had maybe his best game of the season. You know what? No. Get rid of that disclaimer. He had his best game of the season. Absolutely. Offensively, with the four check, he was active from start to finish, finished with one goal, two assists, four shots, and the massive takeaway that ended up setting up the Vladimir Tarasenko game-tying goal. This is not just significant for the here and now, although that's an obvious. Like They need those guys to be good if they're going to be able to get back into the playoff mix. It's also significant for the long-term ramifications of the St. Louis Blues. Alex, we've talked a lot about the re-whatever, speaking back to the... Um, the phrasing that Doug Armstrong put it in, put it on earlier this season, retool versus rebuild. Those are two very different paths that the card or the Blues could have to take this year if they don't get things back on track. 
Cairo and Thomas basically determine which path they decide to take. If Thomas wasn't going to be this guy, if he wasn't a point-per-game player, if Cairo continued kind of floating in and out of games the way that he did earlier in the season, you might have to seriously consider the rebuild. But if those two players play like top-line top individuals, you can build around that. You can see how next year even you could get back on track if you trade out some of these pieces and are able to bring in some significant assets in return. Those two players getting back to the level that they were at last year is maybe the most significant development for the Blues that we've seen recently for the long-term future of this organization. It's all about your core of your team. That's what, that's the difference between your rebuild and retool. And I know you've made the comp to the San Jose Sharks of what you don't want to happen. The reason the San Jose Sharks have kind of gone into this pit I think is because a little bit of leadership when they lost very impactful players and Patrick Marlowe to retirement, Joe Thornton in free agency, and when they decided to move on from Joe Pavelski. I thought those were really impactful moments for them. And when they opted to put the leadership in the hands of Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Logan Couture, and it wasn't the right move for them, whatever it may be, you're deciding the next core of your team. Thomas and Kairou have to be able to take that load and run with it. Now, the difference between San Jose and St. Louis is San Jose quickly transitioned into it. It was a matter of, hey, we went on these runs. These guys are gone. You're our next core. You're slowly transitioning to these guys in terms of you're still going to have the Braden Shens around. You're still going to have the Robert Bortuzzo's in the locker room, even if O'Reilly and Tarasenko move on. Here's two thoughts on this. One, this is exactly how you retool because your core is Thomas, Cairo, and Buchnevich. Yep. And then the depth with that is the Shens and the Sods and the Parecos and the Krugs and the Falks and then the Binningtons. But Thomas and Cairo and Buchnevich are the headliners for this team moving forward. And the difference between them just being good players and elite players is the offense and the 200-foot game that they provide. You saw what an elite player looks like in Jordan Cairo, I think, yesterday. Yep. He should, you know the offense is there. But his ability to go back in his own zone and end a play with his speed and his stick and the ability to take away the puck behind the net like he did on Connor McDavid and create offense from it, that's the elite player. Robert Thomas shooting the puck is the difference between a star and an elite player. And whatever they have to do to unlock this potential, if I'm the coaching staff to make sure that this is a retool and rebuild, to make sure that we get the best of Kairou and Thomas and Buchnevich, shoot that puck. I want Thomas to be selfish with the puck on his stick because he's too passive with it. He's too he's too he's too selfless with it to where he's looking around and he's trying to find the guy to make the play to. Whereas he's got the puck on his stick, he can change the outcome of a game. We saw that with his goal to make it 3-2 last night. Curbs even said it on the broadcast. His shot is the reason scouts around the National Hockey League say he could be a 100-point player because he's got the potential to put 25 to 30 goals up in a season like Adam Oates, but he's got to shoot the puck. So they absolutely are in the retool business if these guys hit this potential, but the only way they get to this potential is if Thomas starts to shoot the puck more Kairu relies on his 200-foot game, and honestly, Pavel Buchnevich shoots the puck more. Have you looked at the on-pace stats right now for Robert Thomas, by the way? I haven't, but I would imagine it's point per game. It's almost exactly what he was last year. Mm -hmm. 
Like, a- almost exactly the same numbers. He's currently on pace for 19 goals. He had 20 last year. He's on pace for 52 assists. He had 57 last year. He's on pace for 115 shots this year. Any guesses on how many shots he had a year ago? 115. 115 on the nose. CB T-Bone, I know the game now. You got it. <laughs> and you add into that what Jordan Cairo is doing now. You know what his on-pace numbers are? It, it's wild how quickly this shifted for both of these guys. His probably has to be close to what he was last year, if not 85 to 90 points. 30 goals, 41 assists wow. on the season. Now, he's also on pace for a minus 49, which is not ideal. Um, but <laughs> a Phil lot Kessel's of, terrible on the plus-minus, and look at him. Also, we've talked about this. A lot of that is what's taken place with the uh, uh, the extra man because they, they yeah, pulled the, the empty goalie. Netter. I think he's like a minus 11 when the goaltender's pulled. Yeah, so basically minus 7 so far this year, and he had a tough start to the season. Like, there's no excusing it. He just wasn't very good at the beginning of the season. He's been quite good ever since. Those guys are starting to look like the same players that they were a year ago, and the players that they were a year ago were deserving of the contracts they that they got during the offseason. Like, if this is who they are, those contracts, and this is what I was saying, even when Jordan Kyrou was struggling, they will eventually look like a steal. Not now, oh, maybe yeah. not even next year, but when that cap starts to rise again and you're seeing other t- other players that are of the caliber of those two that are getting $10 million, and I know that sounds crazy right now, but $10 million per year. David Pasternak's going to get $11 million per year this offseason. And Jordan Kairou could, by the end of their respective deals, be a better player or similar player to David Pasternak. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is very much in the range of outcomes for both of those players. So I say all of that to say this. Kairou and Thomas are back on track. Last night was maybe their best moments together, where both of them were like the driving force as to why the Blues were able to win that game. That's what the Blues need. For this year, for them to be able to get back on track, and for the long term, for them to avoid the rebuild. Those two guys are the center of everything when it comes to the Blues yeah, universe. Because if you're Doug Armstrong, you're looking at this offseason thinking, all right, if we have to move on from O'Reilly and we're moving on from Vladimir Tarasenko and you're moving on from Ivan Barbashev, you don't have a whole lot of cap to use, but what are we missing? We're missing offense right now. You find a guy who can score in your top six along with Shen and Saad and Thomas and Kairou and Buchnevich, you're in the same position that you're in this season. Only you're a little bit thinner in your third and fourth line, but that's what a lot of great teams do is they find depth pieces that are good accent pieces to your top six, but your top six has to be elite. Thomas and Kairou and Buchnevich, all three of those guys have the potential to be 100-point players. It's just a matter of getting them to play consistently the style that they want them to play for an 82-game schedule. Coming up in 15 minutes, the deal is officially done with Carlos Rodon. Six years, $162 million. It's a lot of money. It's not an outlandish amount of money. Should the Cardinals have been willing to go there? We'll talk about that coming up at 1230. But next, it's time for our football pick We'll give you our favorite picks of the week and the biggest games of the week in the NFL next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is the time of the week that I dread and they enjoy. It is our football pick them. The way that this works, no, we're not picking the games that we like the best. We go with the best games of the week and then we draft them in snake order. There are nine games to be selected. There are three of us. That means each of us gets three picks. 
We pick against the spread. This is not straight up. I will be selecting first based on a randomly selected draft order this week. Random. Tanner will pick second. Alex will pick third. Then we snake it around. Alex picks fourth as well, and so on. I will begin with what I believe to be the easiest pick of the week. All right, so first loss. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 1-9-1 and one against the spread in their last 11 games. The Buccaneers are essentially the Tampa Bay Brandon Kylies when it comes to their Tampa or their, their record against the spread, Alex. The Cincinnati Bengals have figured things out. It does appear that T. Higgins is going to be able to play this week. So they say. The Bengals are somehow only a three-and-a-half-point favorite down in Tampa Bay. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get absolutely mollywhopped by the Cincinnati Bengals. This is the time of the year last year where the Cincinnati Bengals ended up going on their run. They continue that this week. They win going away 37-13 to down in Tampa Bay. And the question coming off of this week is, where's Tom going to be playing next year? Because it sure as hell ain't going to be in Can't Tampa. Can't wait to watch him get mollywhopped. That's right. T-Bone, you're up next. Random wheel generator. T-Bone picks two. Oh, man. You and your conspiracy theories thrown out with the wheel generator. It's like the NHL lottery draft. Uh, with my first pick, it's a big spread, and I, I do these a lot, which is scary, but I like the Eagles minus nine at the Chicago Bears. We've seen that the Eagles have been able to blow out teams that are bad in the past. They blew out the Houston Texans. Bears defense is not very good. Justin Fields might be able to keep this somewhat close, but I think the Eagles ultimately end up running away with it on the road. I like them minus nine points. All right. like that. Oh, crap. Sorry, T-Bone. No, remember, I'm good whenever I pick somebody else's. I'm just terrible <laughs> at my own. I don't own. know if that's true. Uh, all right, back-to-back picks. I'm starting with the one I'm most confident in, and frankly, I'm surprised none of you went with this. Bills minus seven. Uh, Miami is not going to be handled playing in Buffalo. I saw pictures of them practicing and didn't look pretty. It's going to be cold as hell. Tanner, yo, don't tell him. Yeah, I like the Miami Dolphins in this game plus the seven points. That's great for you me. Then, tell so. him he likes that. Bills minus seven is the easy play for me here. Uh, next one, and I got to look at my handy dandy notebook that I wrote down on the ones that I like. Oh, you got a big board? Yeah, I got a big board. Big boards don't work for you. Big boards work for me. I'm I a know, big buddy. boy. Uh, Patriots plus one and a half in Vegas against the Raiders. You think that the Bengals figured something out? I think the Patriots figured something out, and it's called defense, and they have been really, really, really good. I think Patriots are going to walk away with this one. No problem. Plus one and a half. Hey, who's starting at running back for them this week? Don't care. Don't care. Who's catching their passes this week? Don't care. Defense will win them this game. Okay. I See, I actually like the pick of the pass on the road here because I, I trust their defense, and I think they can do enough offensively to cover one and a half. This is the time of em. year where Bill Belichick just finds ways to win, and his defense is, his defense is as locked in games as San Francisco's defense has All been. Right. Just remember this. Are you second-guessing this one, too? Remember this on because Monday. Because that's 2-0 and and for me. When you start 0-2, remember this talk on Monday. T-Bone, that's 2-0 and o for your boy. I don't know about that. I'm not sure I like well, the Bills BK minus seven. BK said he likes or likes the other way on both of them. So uh, can I be honest? This is one of the first weeks, by the way, when we've done the pick 'em, where like I've liked maybe one game and that's about it. Typically, oh, I, I feel like, that way every week. Well, yeah. Well, you're just bad at this. <laughs> I I typically have like three to four games that I feel really confident in. I felt only confident in one. So I think I'm going to take a bit of a reach here. 
I think I'm going to go with the Giants on the road against the Commanders plus four and a half. I mean, they played to a tie last time. So on our list. They're it even. Yes. It, what do you mean? Oh, I'm, second page. Sorry. I, 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 uh, they played to a tie last time. I think these teams are pretty even. And I think at some point the magic of Taylor Heineke starts to wear off. I think the Giants run the ball well. I think they're going to have a solid game, cover that four and a half point spread. Alex is working off of a different list. No, nope, Alex nope. is working on the week 16 and up. I just like <laughs> I only had it scrolled up. I didn't scroll to the next page where I saw Giants and Commanders. I'm like, what are you picking a game that's not even on our list right now? All right, so here's where it gets really, really, really tough. My first one that I'm going to select, and these are the famous last words. I'm going to trust the Chargers. What's ever gone wrong when anybody has uttered those terms? The Titans are a solid team. They are what is considered to be a pass funnel defensively. And when I say that, what I mean is they're excellent against the run. They're really bad against the pass. Teams can throw all over against the Tennessee Titans. The Chargers don't want to run the football. They would rather throw it 50 times over the course of this game. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, both finally healthy. We, lo- we saw what that offense looked like this past week when those guys are on the field together. It completely alters the way that we look at Justin Herbert. I think Herbert's going to have a big game. I think the Chargers are able to win this one. I think they win it like 27 to 20. So they end up covering the spread. You're not going to cover the spread, and you're now trying to predict the score. Let's go baby steps, Come on, man. You're you're getting a little too far ahead of your skis here. You need to go down the bunny slopes. You need to stay away from the big ones. So I loved one of the other games that are currently available prior to the news that took place earlier this morning. The Jets were a one and a half point favorite at home against the Lions. Then it was announced that Zach Wilson is going to be starting on Sunday for the New York Jets. And since that news in the last three hours, the Jets went from a one and a half point favorite to a one and a half point underdog. Vegas basically thinks that Zach Wilson is three points worse than Mike White. And I think I agree with them, but I don't trust the Lions on the road in New York against that defense. So I think it's a stay away from me. The place that I am going to go instead is the Cowboys minus the four points on the road at the Jaguars. I'm glad you're taking this one because I hate this one. And the reason why is because everybody's buying in now to the Jags. Hey, look at Trevor Lawrence. Ten touchdowns, no interceptions over the last four weeks. Literally, hey, look at the stats. Cowboys last week. They really struggled against the Texans. This is going to be the week where the Cowboys get back on track. Defensively, they're going to get after Trevor Lawrence. Offensively, they're going to see what they did last week in the second half specifically against the Texans and say, that's unacceptable. We got to be better. The Cowboys are the better team here. Give me the Cowboys minus the four points on the road at the Jets. Can I tell you why I hate that? Hmm. Because I think the Cowboys are already focused on the Eagles. I think this is a trap game. Last week was the trap game. I think this week's the trap game. T-Bone, what do you got as your next pick? So the two games left, you talked about the this one, Lions minus one half at Jets, and then we've also got Ravens at the Browns. Browns favored by two and a half. I kind of agree with you. I could see Zach Wilson having a big game, and then all of a sudden the conversation shifts back to, oh, who are they going to go at starting quarterback? And I still don't trust the Lions completely. So I look at the Browns. Two and a half point favors to me doesn't make sense. I know the Ravens are dealing with injuries at quarterback, but... The Browns haven't figured things out with Deshaun Watson. He still looks rusty. They don't run the damn ball like they should. Stefanski, I'm looking at you. I like the Ravens on the road plus two and a half at the Browns. That's what I had. That's what I was going to go with if I took it. So good pick there for you, T-Bone. 
I guess I'm just going to go with my gut on this one, and I'm going to back the team that seems to be the more confident group, and it's the Lions. And I understand Zach Wilson getting the call here, Zach Wilson trying to go out there and prove everyone wrong. I still think, though, that the Lions just got some type of secret sauce working in their favor. And when you're playing the way that they are, it's going to be tough to stop them. Defensively, they've been making the right plays. And then offensively, we all know the playmakers that they have. So I'll back them here, and I'll take the Lions minus one and a half. So here's what we got. If you want to fade my picks, I recommend you do so. It's been a very, very profitable venture over the course of this NFL season. I have the Cincinnati Bengals minus the three and a half points. I've got the Chargers minus three. I've got the Cowboys minus the four points. I've got three favorites. What could possibly go wrong for me? I think, do I have three road favorites as well this week? Is that correct? <laughs> Cowboys, uh, Cowboys Road, Chargers. Road. No, no, Chargers are on the road. Chargers are, oh, yeah, Chargers Chargers are at home. All right, well, that's kind of a road game for them. They don't have a home game. Okay, so <laughs> the Alex Ferrario picks for the week. Bills minus seven, Patriots plus one and a half, and the Lions minus the one and a half. I'm taking that to draft kicks. All three of those are the public sides. And for Tanner Hendrickson, he's got the Eagles minus the nine points. He has the Giants plus four and a half, and he's got the Ravens plus two and a half. Those are our picks for the week as you're watching the games on the Sunday slate and on Saturday slate. we got some Saturday games this weekend as well. Go ahead and keep us in mind. We will give you our full results coming up on Monday. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, the Cardinals decided to balk at the top-end pitching market this offseason. Should they have? And now that they did, what's next? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live from the EMB Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, just a heads up for Tanner Hendrickson. The Lions play in Detroit, not in New York. It is the Jets versus the Lions. It's the New York Jets and the Detroit Lions. He had them reversed Does that during your the pick Sports Center this week, update. Alex? Uh, just wanted to let Alex know that for Tanner. So it's Tanner. a home game for Detroit. Well, he called them the New York Lions. I don't think and, that happened. Uh, I think that they're the Detroit Lions. But we'll, we'll get that. Can I change my damn pick? So I did want to talk briefly about the Cardinals because their starting pitching situation came to a critical mass for some people yesterday. Alex, I said yesterday on the show, I think that the Cardinals would be making a mistake by letting this opportunity go by without really seriously exploring the possibility of signing Carlos Rodon. Well, Rodon last night signed a six-year deal worth $162 million with the New York Yankees. I want to say this on the front end. I think it's entirely possible that Carlos Rodon just wanted to play for the Yankees and that it was always a matter of him just trying to get the best deal possible from the Yankees. And he ended up getting what he deemed to be that deal. Got $27 million per year on a six-year deal. It's the fifth most total guaranteed money for a starter in all of baseball right now. The $27 million AAV is 10th in Major League Baseball among starting pitchers. It's in that range right above Zach Wheeler, uh, Robbie Ray, Gossman. Those are the starters that are kind of right below him, which feels about right. That's kind of the area that he probably should be in. I think that the Cardinals should have considered it. It does not appear that they did. And because they didn't sign... Carlos Rodon, I think it indicates they're going with what they've got internally. 
for their rotation going into this season. That means betting on Michaelis, Montgomery, Wayno, Flaherty, and Mats. Something could change. Maybe an opportunity comes up on the trade market, but there's nobody else on the free agency market right now that is a significant upgrade over what you have internally going into next year. Maybe you think they are more of a sure thing, but like you, you look out there, Nathan Avaldi, he's kind of what you've got internally. He's Montgomery or Flaherty or Matt. He, he's one of those guys. That's kind of the range of pitcher that he's in when he's healthy and when those guys are healthy. So I think this is what they're running with. I think they should have signed Carlos Rodon, but now they've made their bet and they got to lie on it. I'm fine with them running it back with this. I, I mean, Carlos Rodon at that price, yeah, you know what? I probably would have done it, but it, it would have hurt because I think I would have just been – I would have been waiting for the shoe to drop with Carlos Rodon in terms of six-year deal. When's he going to be injured, and when are we going to be regretting signing him to this deal? And I, I, I'm just okay with you passing on that. I think you've got a team – that can be competitive with the rotation that you've put in place. It's just a matter of if they stay healthy. And you know what? I would have been saying if they stay healthy with any of the guys you would have signed this offseason. If you wanted to go after Jacob DeGrom, I would have been saying it. I, I would have been definitely out on that one. If you wanted to go for Justin Verlander, probably wouldn't have been saying if he's healthy because he's been healthy but I kind of would have been waiting for the shoe to drop there. And then, of course, with the Carlos Rodon, I'm, I would have strongly been thinking that the entire time. So if I'm going to have injury risk, I'm going to go into it with the guys that I feel have an opportunity to take this rotation and have something to prove. Flaherty's got something to prove. Montgomery's got something to prove. Wayno's got something to prove. And Matt's has got something to prove. So I'll give my team an opportunity with that. And if it doesn't work, and it is very noticeable that these guys will not live up to the expectation, then I got a heaping of prospect pool that I can go into and make a move. That's a big part of this, though, because you had a couple of options if you're the Cardinals. You can either go out there, kind of do what they did with their catcher situation, and eat the money and say, you know what, we're willing to take on risk with money to not give up the prospects so that way we've got a real answer internally when healthy to be able to fix our rotation. That was the Carlos Rodon route. The other route that they could take is, okay, we're going to bet on our internal options. We're betting on Jack Flaherty to be that front-end guy. We're betting on Miles Michaelis to be a legit number two starter again. We're betting on Adam Wainwright to bounce back from what he was at the end of the season. We're betting on our guys. And if it doesn't work, they have to be willing this time. Have to be willing, Alex, to go out there at the trade deadline and acquire a legit stud at the deadline. And this is where I think they put pressure on themselves. They put pressure on themselves this offseason to, e to either sign a significant free agent to help their rotation or to trade for that guy. And you can't keep running it back the same way that you have been in the past. Each of the last few seasons, you've been short on pitching, whether it be bullpen or rotation. This season, I think it's going to be a little different. I don't think it's going to be the fourth or fifth starter that you're missing. I think it is much more likely that you're going to be missing that front-end starter. And if you are... You have to be willing to meet the price. I don't want to hear again this year, oh, well, the prices were just a little too strong for our liking. Solid mode. No, no, uh-uh, no more. It, it's time. It's time to bite the bullet because if you don't do it at the deadline, well, then we're going to be having the same conversations next year when it's going to be those top-end starters. Scherzer could hit the market again. You could end up having Blake Snell and you Darvish and Aaron Nola. There's some good starters that are going to hit the market. You know what's going to happen? They're going to get paid. 
because that's what happens in the open market. You got to win a bidding war, and it's going to be the same conversations with all of them that it is right now this offseason with Verlander or that it was right now with Carlos Rodon. People are going to look at him and say, ooh, I don't know. That guy has an injury history. or That guy's too old. Like, yeah, that's what happens when you sign a starter. Eventually, you got to be willing to meet the price, whether it be trade or or free agency. Cardinals balked at the free agency prices. Now we got to talk about the per- trades when we get to midseason. And you just sound like me telling my daughter to stop throwing the macaroni and cheese at my dog last night while we were eating dinner. Nope, nope, that's it. That's the last time I'm doing it. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Here's why I believe that they'll get to that point. Because they have everything else in, p- in place for them that they believe is making them a World Series contender. You've got the bats now. In terms of Wilson Contreras and Arenado and Goldschmidt. You've got the complementary pieces. You've got the prospects that are ready to come up like a Jordan Walker. And then you've got a bullpen that's in good spot. And you've got a rotation that you feel like is deep enough. What's the one missing link? It's an ace. Last season, there were like four missing links. You were talking about rotation depth. You were talking about your outfield. You were wondering about your prospects. What's the shortstop market going to do? Can we find a catcher? There were a lot of holes. There's only one hole this upcoming season, and it is an ace. And if Jack Flaherty is not healthy, if Jack Flaherty does not live up to the expectations, then I can fully see the Cardinals going into the season at the trade deadline if Shane Bieber is available or if some other ace that we're not thinking of becomes available. Pablo Lopez, although I don't know if he's in that ace category for me. It's like number two, number three. I can fully see them saying, you know what? Blanket. We've got Mason Wynn. We've got insert prospect name here. Anybody other than Jordan Walker, I could see the Cardinals saying, this is our missing link. This is it. And if we get this guy, now the window's open. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. This comes from the 314. Guys, the Cardinals should have just kept Jose Quintana and signed Cody Bellinger and Christian Vasquez. Here's why I disagree with that notion. Because while I liked what Quintana gave them last year, he's more of what you have. Jose Quintana is going to be a number four starter this year for the New York Mets, and that's what he should be. Going into any individual season, you should not be counting on Quintana to be a number one starter for you because he's not that. Jose Quintana, at best probably for most teams that are trying to win a World Series, is a number three. That's in a best-case scenario. So if you signed him, you probably would have ended up trading one of the guys currently on your rotation. My guess would have been Jordan Montgomery. And if you asked me today, hey, who's going to have a better season next year, Montgomery versus Quintana, I'd probably take Jordan Montgomery. I would too. So I would rather just stick with what you have than sign Quintana. If they were going to improve the rotation this offseason via free agency, it was going to require one of the three big names. Verlander, DeGrom, or Rodon. I wouldn't have done the DeGrom route because of how long the contract is, how much older he is, and also because he doesn't just have some injury history. His His entire entire last three years has been injury riddled. Verlander I would have considered. Rodon I would have considered. They decided not to. That's fine. That's their prerogative. I just disagree on that, but... Now that you did, you got to be willing to meet the price when we're, whatever we get to the trade deadline. I would also add this. I don't think that their pitching situation is nearly as dire as it was a year ago. Last year going into the season, I could see how somebody would say they've got an innings deficit coming and it's going to be a problem because at that point in time, we didn't know what Miles Michaelis was going to be. We didn't know what Jack Flaherty was going to be. Dakota Hudson was still coming back after uh, the elbow issues, and we saw a little bit of him the year prior, but not much, and we didn't know what to expect out of him either. And it was lights out that little bit we saw him. So you were putting a lot of faith in basically Adam Wainwright and Steven Matz to be the answers in your rotation. Let me go through some of the projections from what they had last year to where they're at right now. 
Miles Michaelis' projection, according to Fangraphs, this year, 190 innings with a 4.1 ERA. Last year, 110 innings with a 4.1. He only had 110 innings that last year? That was the projection going oh, into okay. the season because he was, was coming say, off of the significant injury. Why do I feel like he pitched more last year? Montgomery this year, he's projected to pitch 175 innings with a 3.7 ERA. He's essentially replacing in this five-man rotation Dakota Hudson, who last year, his projection was a 110 innings uh, threshold with a 4.0 ERA. Getting slightly better, projected for a hell of a lot more innings there. Wayno last year was projected for 160 innings with a 4.1 ERA. This year, 167 innings with a 4.4 ERA. Slightly less effective, he's getting older, but about the same in terms of the innings. Flaherty last year was projected for 130 innings with a 3.5. This year, 145 innings with a 4.1. The effectiveness, they think, is going to go down the threshold for innings is roughly the exact same. And the same thing is true for Steven Matz. They think his effectiveness could go up a little bit. They've got him at a 3.7. Last year, they had him at a 4.0. This year, they've got him for 125 innings. Last year was 145. You are projected for way more innings this year from your rotation and roughly the same effectiveness. So, yeah, I think you're going to be all right. I don't think this is a situation where it's like, oh, no, where are they going to find the innings? It's not the case. This year is about the quality of those innings, and that's where we get back to we're going to find that. If it doesn't work out with Jack Flaherty, where are you going to find that legit number one starter? And it all comes back to Jack Flaherty. I mean, that's what this season is riding on. Like you said yesterday, all of our top 20 Cardinals for the upcoming season, number one is going to be Jack Flaherty. But I, I just I like the way that their rotation is set up because even if you don't have an ace, you've got two guys that could arguably number be number twos on other teams' rotations. And then I think you'll probably have a better number four and a number five than most teams if Wayno and Mats can stay healthy and live up to their expectations. So rather than having that, top, I mean, it's the same thing as hockey, like, you know, where you've got that, that top tier guy and then this big gap in between. I think they may not have that top tier guy, but they don't have as wide of a gap in between as that next tier down. And because you have Jack Flaherty in your in your system and you're banking on him being healthy to be that ace, that's why I don't have the issue of not going after Carlos Rodon in the offseason. Now, if Flaherty's not healthy or if Flaherty's just not as effective as you expect to when you, once you get to the deadline, then yeah, that's when I get back to the conversation that BK was saying where, you know, this is the year that they have to make that kind of move because it is obvious that it is one place that they are lacking is that they clearly don't have a number one if Jack Flaherty doesn't get back to the guy that they saw in the second half of 2019 because if he gets back to that, they have the number one spot filled in terms of being an ace and then they can just look to add to it with another ace if they want to have a 1A, 1B combination. But because you have Jack Flaherty, I don't have the issues of not going after Carlos Rodon. If Jack Flaherty wasn't with the Cardinals or was out for the year, I would be saying, yeah, that this was a major miss for them, but because they have someone that I think can fill that role internally, I'm willing to wait until the deadline. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're getting back to the St. Louis Blues. They're starting to win at 5-on-5 again, and that is the biggest indicator that they're getting back to their game. We'll get into that coming up at 1 o'clock, but next, it's time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. Let's 
Welcome to the Junk Drawer with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live at the EMB Grandis Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Happy holidays to each and every one of you. And some of you are having this question. Who do I need to get Christmas gifts for? This was a question that was asked over in the New York Post, Alex Ferrario. Not your co-host. They said, should I buy my boss a holiday gift or does that look creepy? And could it look like I'm trying to suck up to my boss? I want to expand this a little bit. Not just your boss. Who do you need to get gifts for during the holiday season? Like, who are the people in your lives? Like, what's the threshold that somebody needs to rise to for you to say, you know what? I need to get that individual a Christmas gift. For you, who in, who who is encompassed by that umbrella? I would say family. I think families. But how far within the family, right? Because everybody's family. got a different kind of like. Yeah, like grandparents. Some people get together with their cousins. No, and yeah. Their third That's, aunts and their cuts fourth off uncles. At, it cuts off at immediate family. Parents, siblings. That's it. And then obviously significant other and kids. I'm living the kids' life now for Christmas. That's which is, where it gets fun, though, uh, right? Oh, God, yeah. Are you kidding me? I can't wait for Christmas now. But, yeah, I cut it off at immediate family. Like, I, I don't think I've ever done the the friend's Christmas gift. Like, where you get together with your buddies and you give gifts. Because I don't want to put that expectation on them to buy me something. And I don't expect anything from them. So, like, that's where it kind of cuts off for me. It's family and it's never been like a need thing. It's more of like a want thing. Like, I want to get them gifts. You know, like, it's not like, oh, geez, I got to get this person a gift. Yeah. Because that's where it gets a little too absurd for me. I, I think I like where you're coming from there. Because I, I would say it's immediate family. But, like, I wouldn't give something to, like, I haven't done any gifts for friends. And I, honestly, for me, if you're not at our place for Christmas, sorry, you're, I'm not getting you a gift. Yeah, because it, I, I don't see you. So, like. Yeah. Like my cousins, if they were there at our house for Christmas, I'd get them a gift because I'd feel bad if they showed up and it was like, oh, I got a gift from everybody but Tanner. I would do that then. But if they're not at our place, I don't ex- I, I don't get them a gift and I don't expect a gift from them either. That's a good stipulation. How do you handle in-laws? Oh, we get them gifts. But we do, we do couple gifts now. Like once you have kids, couple gifts comes into play. So like, like my mom gets a couple's gift. My dad so gets a my, couple's gift. That's what my parents get. They get couple's gifts. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my stepfather-in-law, they get couple's gifts. They don't get a gift from Katie and a gift from me. It's a sure. gift from both of us. But, yeah, I, I buy all the in-laws unless my wife, and my wife is like the king of gifts or queen of gifts, I should say. Um, she does them all. So, like, if she feels like something's good for my mom and my dad, we'll get it for them. But if she feels like it's something's good for both of them, then they get both from the 314. So you're telling me that you don't get your nieces and nephews presents and you don't buy your best friend's kids a gift, Alex? You're the Grinch or a Scrooge. I can't remember which one, but you're definitely one of no, them. No, I get my nieces gifts. Tanner's stipulation is perfect. If, if I you're see there you on Christmas Day, if I see you Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, you're getting gifts. If it, I don't see you in those two days, you're not getting gifts. And I, I think you get your nieces and nephews a gift when they're like younger. Like for example, yeah. no, 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 no. For like until they're eighteen. That might be until a they're out of the house. for me. That might be a little until they're out me. of the house. Until they can financially buy their own things, I get gifts for. Them. That's the case. I better be getting gifts till I'm like thirty. Well, you financially uncles. can afford an Ethernet cable. We talked about this earlier today. If you're not familiar with what Tanner's talking about, go listen to our 1145 Ask Us Anything yeah. segment. That'll explain it. Um, I, I would also add this. I think there are some situations where it is either unspoken or spoken where you say to others, we're not getting each other gifts this year. Like the three of us? The three of us have unspoken. an agreement. 
We used to do birthday gifts. We used to do Christmas gifts. We don't do that anymore. We all love each other. We all appreciate each other. None of us need to get each other a gift for Christmas. We can just show that appreciation for one another on a day-to-day basis. I would appreciate a visit to BK and Kara's timeshare in Orlando so I could take my daughters to Disney World, yeah, but no, that's, that's, that's not going to happen. happen. That's never going to happen. Um, I There are certain members of my family where it's like, hey, just not. Let's not do that. that that's okay. Yeah. You've got kids. You can get them gifts. We'll get them gifts. If we had kids, you give them gifts. It, yep. in return the favor right but once you get to a certain age it's like, man we don't need to be getting each other gifts. like we used to get together so like christmas eve is when we do my family and then christmas day is when we do katie's family but like we used to do christmas day with my dad's side and then we used to do christmas eve with my mom's side so like all of our cousins and aunts and uncles would be there and even then we didn't buy gifts for the cousins and the aunts and uncles it was just kind of the unspoken thing of like you buy it for your family the get-together is yep. the Christmas gift. That's the way it should be. Uh, with my family, too, like, I went back to KC a couple of weeks ago to see see my parents, and both of them gave me my Christmas gift while I was there then. Like, we went shopping and did some of the Christmas stuff then as opposed to waiting until, like, the Christmas day. There wasn't, like, a specific thing like, hey, here are your gifts that are going to be under the tree. So I think everybody's a little bit different. We've all got our traditions. As for where you stand on your bosses, where do you stand on that? Do you think you should give your boss a gift? I don't because I feel like it looks, at least for me, it feels like a, like sucking up a little bit. Like, it, there's a difference in gifts, though, because... What I just it, don't want to. What, well, there you go. <laughs> Tommy, John, I hope you're listening. <laughs> I just don't. I don't feel like I need to spend yeah, money I, to get I a I Christmas gift. I at least thought gift. about it. Okay? Well, and, and technically our boss's Christmas gift to us is, you know, they, employment. They keep us employed. Yes. Yeah. But, like, what I used to do, so, like, my wife would usually do, like, a like a holiday get-together with her, with her mom and her sister, and they would bake cookies. That would be the gift that I would give to my boss of, like, hey, here's a little cookie tin of stuff my wife cooked. But now... You know, you don't know if people feel uncomfortable of getting things that you baked at your house. So it's like there's just too much that goes into it. I don't want to have to figure out what to buy you. It's just easier if we just pretend like we don't need to buy each other gifts. From the 636, how have I never heard you guys make fun of BK for having a timeshare? There are lawyers that literally help people get out of those things. I'm sure that BK is part of some, quote, multi-level marketing company, too, also known as a Ponzi scheme. Uh, BK is all, the king of Ponzi schemes. First of all, I want to make this very clear. Not my timeshare. That is my wife's. I, I have no part of that. I was not involved in that process. That has sure. been there for 10 years. They decided to buy into the Disney World timeshare stuff. That is not me. You can't talk to your wife and say, hey, Alex has got two little girls. I want to go to Disney World. Can we nudge it in his direction? Nope. 0%. Chance. All right. I'm glad we care about each other very much. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to some NFL quick hitters at 1.30. It's our favorite game for Fridays. It's called One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. But coming up next, the Blues, they're starting to win at 5-on-5 five five again. What's it mean? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the middle, it comes Thomas. He scores. It's back to a one-goal game. Robert Thomas has made it three to two. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was at five on five last night, and that's been a theme for the Blues during this recent stretch, where they're playing just flat-out better hockey, Alex. And when I look over at the scoring chances specifically, 
If you look at the scoring chances, the percentage for the Blues compared to their opponent at 5-on-5, here's where it's at over the course of the last six games. 54%, 48%, 51%, 50%, 38%. It wasn't so good against the Predators, but that was a weird game overall. And then 50% last night. They've been either winning or keeping it really, really close at 5-on-5 five five recently. The games before that where they really struggled, it was at 44%, 38%, 31%, 37%. They were getting dominated at 5-on-5. Five five. They had no real chance when it came to the scoring chances for versus against. If the Blues are going to turn it around, if this is a team that has a real chance to get back into the playoff mix, this is the way they do it. Last year at 5-on-5, some of the underlying numbers, the expected goals and all that stuff, that nonsense, that mumbo-jumbo where it's the advanced analytics. The second day in a row you've used the word mumbo-jumbo. That stuff was all against the Blues. But the scoring chances for, the, the opportunities that they had, that seems to go in their direction more often than not. And it's starting to swing in their direction again. This is an encouraging sign, but it's something that they've got to be able to sustain because they've had moments where this has worked for them before this year, and then it started to drop off again. And you got to pick up the pace on it, too, because you're not going to be the team you were at even strength last season where you're scoring four or five goals and then getting the power plays on top of it where you're this dangerous scoring team. You're going to be a low-scoring team. Like That's just how this is going to go. But you have the potential to be more aggressive offensively at even strength. And I think a lot of the success that they're having, at least recently, is because they're playing the way that Craig Bruby has been preaching to them to play. I mean, a perfect example is watching the game last night. I mean... Two of their three goals were scored off of winning puck battles below the goal line. It was Kairou's goal, and then it was Vladimir Tarasenko's goal. That's how you win hockey games in a Craig Berube system. You fight for the puck, you win the battles, and you get guys in the right position. I mean, heck, even the goal that they scored with Robert Thomas's that was a rush up the ice, but it was going to the front of the net. So even strength is such a tough way to play. Because a lot of teams look to win games on their special teams, like Boston. Boston's a perfect example of a team that's going to beat you on special teams. They're great at five-on-five. But power play, you know they're going to score. Penalty kill, you know they're going to be lights out. The Edmonton Oilers, as you just saw, they beat you twice on the power play. And then they got the one even strength goal late in the game. The Blues are meant to win at even strength. And it comes from the way you play defensively as a five-man unit. Darren Pang, uh, he said this to the morning show. He talks about a five-man unit on the television screen. If you can see all five bodies on the television, or how the Blues played last night, all six guys on the ice at one time on your television screen, then you know they're playing the right way. If they're spread out, you're not playing the right way. So this is a this is a trend for success for the Blues but like you said you got to be more consistent with it and you got to play the way that Craig Berube is begging them to play and I think that the driving forces here are Robert Thomas getting better Ryan O'Reilly now having a line that he can really count upon on a night in night out basis and Jordan Cairo yeah Jordan Cairo driving offense at five on five has maybe been the single biggest change for things for the Blues because He's a guy that whether it is assisting others or scoring for himself or the rush opportunities, like when the Blues are at their best, it does typically align with Jordan Cairo playing his best hockey. It is no coincidence that right now he's playing his best hockey and the Blues are playing this way. It's not a coincidence. And at the beginning of the season, it was not a coincidence that when he was with Ryan O'Reilly and that line was really struggling, 
the Blues were playing their worst hockey that we've seen from them so far this year. So I think that's a big part of this as well. There was one other thing kind of big picture wise in the NHL, Alex, that I did want to get to today, and it's the scheduling. This is not something that I expected to be talking about in the middle of the season, but I think it was Sportico that had an article yesterday that the NHL is considering a change in the future of going more to a geographical rival type of a schedule where you would play teams within your division, the teams that are close by more often than you do currently. So for the Blues, as an example, you'd see a lot more of teams like Colorado or Chicago or uh, Nashville than you do currently. This is kind of reverting back to, not entirely, but closer to the schedule that we saw during the pandemic. Is this something that you would like to see the NHL do, Alex? Would you like to see more natural rivalries occur with more opportunities to see those teams within your division specifically? I think I would because I think it makes the season more intriguing. And I love the fact that you get to see every team twice in a season. And I love the fact that everybody gets to see every team at Enterprise Center once. Like, you get your opportunity to see Ovechkin and Matthews and Crosby and all the teams in the Eastern Conference. But I don't think you need it every season where you play these guys twice. Like, I think, and Tanner, we talked about this yesterday a little off the air when this when the story was released. I think where if it was every other season where you see a team at Enterprise Center once or you play that team once, that would be okay with me. So you're essentially taking away, what is there? There's 15, 16, 16 Eastern teams. Conference games. So you're taking 16 games out of your schedule and putting those 16 games in the Central Division. Seven teams in the Central Division. You're adding two more times playing Central Division teams in a year. And I think that's perfect. I don't need to see Tampa and Detroit and Florida and Buffalo and Montreal twice. I don't need two Western Canada road trips at some point in the season. Give me give me 40 games against the Central Division. Give me 20 games against the Pacific Division, and then fill in the rest with the Eastern Conference. Schedule and travel is going to be better, which gives you less roller coasters of seasons when teams don't have to go out on a 13-day road trip. And on top of it, you're building up rivalries, playing Minnesota and Winnipeg and Dallas and Colorado six times. It sucks when you only play a team three times, and three times you play that team are in the first two months of the season, and you don't see them again. I, I like the idea of doing it as well, because I I don't think there's really many rivalries across the NHL right now, because you don't play your division that often. Like I don't, Who would you name as the Blues' biggest rival right now? Like, I don't call Colorado a rivalry. I, maybe now that Codger's got, maybe that's why I think of that. But I can't think of anybody. I, I he's like not even it on Colorado he, anymore. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like if he was there, maybe I could consider them that. But I, I don't think I can with him being in Calgary now. Uh, so I like the idea of adding more division games so you can get some of these more rivalries. And also, it's kind of just my more my old school thinking mentality too. Is what makes the playoffs so so great, in my opinion. It's because you see some of that bad blood that kind of boils over in seven games. You get some of that pushing and shoving that occurs after the whistle. I think the NHL needs some more of that in the regular season. So I think if you pull out you know, some of those Eastern Conference games where there's not a lot of bad blood and you start to throw more into your uh, in-division matchups, I'm not saying like you play the Coyotes like six times in a row like they did during that pandemic season. Yes, please, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but if you have more more division games, it adds a little bit more, adds a bit more to that rivalry feeling. And I, I think that's just better for the sport of hockey. I think Uh, that it is really weird 
I'm of two minds on this. I'll say that up front. I think that it is really weird that the Blues will not play the Colorado Avalanche after February 18th. That feels off to me. Like, I, I don't understand why when those are two teams that are that were potentially going to be at the top of their division, you would have them essentially not play in the second half of the year. That That's odd. You're done with a who are you? You're done with a team from the Central Division now. Like, I don't think you play, is it Dallas? No, you only play Dallas twice. Yeah, you play them. So the next time that you play Dallas, it is a scheduling quirk. It's the final two games of the regular season. That's what it is. You yeah. play them on April 12th and April 13th. That's stupid. That's weird. Yeah. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you play Dallas? The first game was on November 28th, and you don't see them again until April 12th and April 13th. Those are two completely different teams. Like, you should face each other throughout the course of the regular season. I get what the appeal would be to this. I also don't want to lose those games against teams like Boston or New York or Detroit. Like, I... I do think that it is worthwhile to see those teams. I think it's fun to be able to see those Eastern Conference but teams. But if you knew you were going to see those Eastern Conference teams every other season, it makes those tickets to those games even higher in demand. Like, you knew this season you're not going to see teams from the Metro, so you're not going to see an Enterprise Center, and I'm just hypothetical here. You're not going to see Crosby or the Rangers or Ovechkin or New Jersey. You're going to see Boston and Matthews and Stamkos and David Perron, they're going to be at Enterprise Center, and you're going to in this play hypothetical scenario. in this hypothetical scenario, and you're going to play the Metro on the road this season. But then next season, you get the Metro in St. Louis, and then you get the Atlantic on the road. Like That would be the way to do it, to where you know every other season you're going to see those people in person. Yeah, I... A lot of texters are saying, hey, this is basically like Major League Baseball in reverse, where you're going more towards what the Major League Baseball schedule was as opposed to what it's going to be in the future. That's 100% true. That's that's what they're leaning towards. But it's a little different in terms of like you're not going to see almost exclusively games against your own uh, division slash league. It would be more uh, expansive than that. I prefer the way that it is right now, I think. I also think they should probably they, they should try to figure out ways to work around some of these scheduling quirks that are in it right now. But that's really hard to do with the ske- with the with the um, with the travel. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of I want my cake and I want to eat it too. But if I had to choose one versus the other, I think I would rather leave it the way that it is right now. Yeah, I, I do like being able to see those Eastern Conference teams every single year here in St. Louis. And I completely I get it. More fun and personally. I think a lot of people are probably on that side of it because you don't want to miss opportunities to see these superstars. But man, I, and like Arizona and Chicago are the anomalies because like you just they're bad right now. But like I would much rather see Nashville six times and Colorado six times and Minnesota six times and Winnipeg and Dallas than only see them three times and not get to build that rivalry up because the way it goes in the playoffs is you see the central division for at least the first two rounds. And if you don't play these guys for once in four months, it just takes away a little bit of the excitement. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to play a game of one's got to go. 65780 is the air cover service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But next NFL quick hitters, including Micah Parsons, taking a lot of grief for his comments on Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. I understand it. It's deserved. But he did make an interesting point. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Some 
about quick hitters. Micah Parsons taking a lot of heat, heat this week, guys. He said essentially, I don't know that Jalen Hurts is really the MVP. Look at the team that's around him. That's Philly, not Jalen Hurts. I disagree with him. I think Jalen Hurts is deserving of, at a minimum, MVP conversation, even if he doesn't win the award. And right now he's the favorite to do so. That being said, Alex, I do think that because he's just been getting ripped all week, we have kind of lost sight of what the, the heart of his point was. It's really hard to divorce the player from the situation. Like when Patrick Mahomes was involved in the conversations of MVP, it was always, yeah, but look at what's around him. Now Jalen Hurts, yeah, but what's around him? I don't know how you take a guy out of their situation. Part of why they are having success typically is because they have stuff around them that's good. Look at Trevor Lawrence, for example. Trevor Lawrence is playing better this year. Why? A, because he's got better weapons, and B, because he's got better coaching. It's not his fault that he had crappy situations around him previously and his results suffered. Patrick Mahomes has only played under Andy Reid. Whoever the quarterback is in San Francisco, they're playing in a very quarterback-friendly offense. Tua Tungavailoa, another good situation uh, that is kind of driving at the heart of this conversation. I don't know how you divorce the player from the situation when we're talking about MVP. I think it's nearly impossible to do so. It is because you can come up with examples on both sides. Um, I mean, like, let's look at the Vegas Raiders. Like, you get Devontae Adams and you'd be thinking that, oh, hey, well, now the offense is going to get better because Derek Carr's got weapons and he never had weapons before. Well, not so much. Devontae Adams is still good, but the Raiders still stink. So, yeah, it is hard to separate the player from the scheme. And Lamar Jackson is the perfect example on the opposite side of this. Like, they are built for success because of Lamar Jackson. I I do fall into the line of Micah Parsons when it comes to Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts, and I'm the Philadelphia guy. I love the Eagles. Jordan Davis is my guy. It's your team. But, like, Jalen Hurts was a guy last season that I felt like we were sitting there saying, yeah, but he just doesn't scream franchise quarterback. And then all of a sudden, boom, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and we're talking about a team that looks like they're unbeatable. So, yeah, you have to ask the question, is Philadelphia successful because of Jalen Hurts and all of a sudden he's just great? Or is he successful because he's got great weapons around him? But I think it's a little bit of both in the circumstance with Philly because Jalen Hurts is just, he's a two-dimensional player. I, I think when you talk MVP conversation, I think football and hockey are the two sports that you have to look at the team scenario be as a not as a knock against a player because it's just more of a team sport. Like when you look at uh, the NFL, look at Aaron Rodgers, for example. We can all agree Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the last decade. He doesn't have the same team around him as he did a couple years ago. And as a result, his numbers have suffered. And and part of that is too is he just hasn't played as well. And like baseball, you can have a great individual performance and it may not affect a team. So I think baseball is a little different than it is from the NFL. I think the NFL and NHL's perspective it's okay to take the team's aspect into looking at their MVP caliber thing and the players shouldn't be knocked for it because they have to have a team around them because it's more of a team game. So you're, I guess I'm just to make sure that I understand, you don't think that Jalen Hurts should be knocked because his situation is good, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. That's where I'm at as well. And when I look at this year's MVP race, and we're talking about Burrow and Hertz and Mahomes and Josh Allen, all of them have good situations. They've all got good coaches. They've all got good talent around them. Like, it's just really hard for me to differentiate. If you think that Hertz has been better than Mahomes and Burrow and Josh Allen, he should win MVP this year. And if you think one of those other guys has been better, it should 
this year, in my opinion, really not even be a factor because the other guys all have good situations as well. Yeah, the only thing that I could say with that, and I originally was going to say it, then I kind of second-guessed it in my head, is I would put Mahomes and Burrow ahead of Hurts and Allen because of the situation that they have. Now, Mahomes still has Travis Kelsey, who's the best tight end. Burrow might have the best situation in the NFL. But he was also without Jamar Chase for four, what, four or five weeks with injuries. And Higgins has been so up and down. And he is still, and Mixon's been out for a while. He still made it worth, or made it work with a lot of injuries. Like, I always look at the most valuable player is, where would that team be without that person? I would say that if you do want to take something into account, for me, schedule would be a part of this. And if you're going to have a knock against the Eagles, any one of their players, any one of their, any piece of their team or if you want to talk about MVP the thing that might work against Jalen Hurts I don't think people are going to look into it enough so it won't matter if they end up losing one game this year their schedule has been charm and soft and if you want to knock him for anything it's probably that that he just hasn't gone up against the same quality of opponent that Mahomes and Burrow specifically have gone up against this year all right let's go into the next thing I don't know how much of the NFL game you guys watched last night on Thursday night football There was yet another atrocity of a roughing the passer call. This one coming against uh, Nick Bosa. It overturned an interception that should have basically ended the game at that point, and it gave the Seattle Seahawks more, more life. The NFL apparently is talking about making those calls reviewable. Now, this to me reeks of the decision that they made a few years ago with defensive pass interference, where they made that reviewable, and then they didn't change anything. It just became the same thing where they were like, ah, can't overturn that. It was a judgment call. And then midway through the season, we're like, yeah, stop. Stop reviewing these. It's just not even worth any of our time. They don't need to make this reviewable. They need to change the rule. They have to do something so we are not trying to adjudicate whether or not a guy attempted to brace his fall. Guys, it's physics. The guy is going to fall because gravity is a thing. And because he's 300 plus plus pounds. And the inertia is taking him in one direction, and you're trying to ask him to go the other direction. This isn't the Matrix. They're not able to God. just randomly like go Great. in weird, crazy ways. T-Bone doesn't get that reference, by the way. The NFL no, has to do one. something about this because it is actually affecting, in some of these games, the outcome of those respective games. I don't know how you fix it, though, because it's always a judgment call. So like you said, if you're going to fix it, you got to just get rid of it but part of me thinks like look at the way that they do high sticking now in hockey to where like they're able to review it to find out if it was the player's stick or if it was his teammate's stick and then they can say yeah that wasn't a penalty but the problem is but they don't change it well in this in, in the NFL. that's what i'm saying that's not a judgment call that's proof and evidence that like yeah that was your own teammate's stick so there will be no penalty this one, you still are going to have a judgment call. The only way that you could go about this is take the judgment out of the officials on the field and let somebody away from the game make the call. But again, you're still making somebody else make that judgment call. So the only way to fix this is just to get rid of it. It's football. This is what's going to happen. I couldn't agree. And I say that as somebody who would cry if I got hit like that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree Me with too. you guys. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you guys more. I, it, one, it should not be reviewable because it's just going to take longer. And as you said, BK, it's not going to solve anything. It's just going to come down to the judgment call. It, it, that does scream the pass interference uh, when they went back to review that. And I agree with Alex. I think you just loosened the rule on it. I, I understood why they did it. And I know they'll claim it was for, or they will say it's player safety, and I agree with that. But it's also because they didn't want to see quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers when they get landed on on their shoulder because mm-hmm. what's the product you're mostly wanting to watch? It's the quarterback. Well, sure. newsflash NFL, you've added these rules, and there's a bunch of quarterbacks still out, and they haven't been hurt because of this. So, 
I think you just have to accept it's football. Stuff's going to happen. Loosen the rule. That would be my that would be my whole thing for it. 100%. We're all on the same page there. Let's stick with that game from last night. Final thing as we dive into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. 49ers end up locking up the NFC West. They have officially uh, won that division with their win last night in Seattle. I heard earlier today the morning show was talking about Brock Purdy and where he ranks among the best NFC quarterbacks. And I, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about him versus Jalen Hurts. That's not a conversation, guys. Come on. Let, let's be real about Brock Purdy. He's fine. He's in the – we talked about situation earlier. There might not be a more quarterback-friendly offense than Kyle Shanahan's offense. I remember a couple of years ago. Who was that guy? Nick Mullins? Hey. That was like a, a genuinely productive player for them. Now, they weren't the winning games. I, he's a backup somewhere. They uh, weren't winning games because at that time the defense was broken up too. But their defense is awesome this year. And their weapons are really good. And, oh, by the way, they've got Christian McCaffrey, who makes every quarterback that's around him look a little bit better as well. What a trade that was. I don't want to focus so much on Brock Purdy as I do the 49ers. Guys, can this team re- reasonably, realistically go on a run this postseason with Brock, Cor- Brock Purdy as their quarterback? Absolutely. Because all you need Brock to do is the bare minimum. The team can do everything else. You've got two elite playmakers in Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel when Debo's healthy, and they're expecting him to be back for the playoffs. And then you've got a defense that is the best in the Nash- or in National Football League, maybe second best with Dallas for how Dallas can play if they stay healthy. But you absolutely can win because Brock did exactly what Brock needed to do last night, the bare minimum. Make the throws when you've got the guy and let the playmaking ability take over. George Kittle in back-to-back touchdowns just made the play. Christian McCaffrey was able to make the plays, and then the defense solidified that victory. You just need Brock to do what he's been doing And in my opinion, San Francisco can at least, and it just depends on the matchups, but I I think their toughest competition would probably be the Philadelphia Eagles. I... I don't think they can go on a run. I think they can maybe win a game in the playoffs. Like, I think it comes down to matchup. Like, like you said, I don't think they'd be favored against the Eagles. Anytime you run into a team that's got a solid defense, I think they would struggle. Like when they play Dallas, if they play Dallas, I don't think they could beat Dallas because I think good defense defenses can force Purdy to beat them, and I don't think he can. I, I like last night. I think he completed, if I remember correctly, like his first ten passes or something crazy. But it wasn't anything that was great. It was all like friendly dump offs to Kittle, dump off to McCaffrey. A good defense will be able to slow them down and force Purdy to beat them. And when that comes down to being the case, they're going to lose. So can they go on a run? I don't think so. Can they win a playoff game? Maybe two. Uh, possibly. I think he's got a Nick Foles type of postseason in him. And I don't think people remember exactly what Nick Foles' postseason was prior to that New England Patriots game. He's pretty good against Minnesota. He was not good against Atlanta in that first week. They probably should have ended up losing that game, but their defense, the Philadelphia Eagles defense in 2018, won them that first playoff game against the Falcons. Ask ask uh, Anthony Stolter about that later on today in the fast lane. He'll tell you all about it. Oh. Halftime, there should have been a pick. It should have got should have been a very different game for the Falcons. Don't ruin his Friday like that, though. But can Brock Purdy put up the types of numbers? Can he help his team win the way that Nick Foles did? Nick Foles isn't particularly good. We've seen him be a starting quarterback since then. He's not good. He had a great situation, though. Their defense was awesome. They ended up getting the bye that that year, and the NFC was a little bit watered down. feel the same way this year. So can the 49ers go on a run? Yeah, I actually think they can. It, it shouldn't surprise anybody if Brock Purdy 
is the starting quarterback for the 49ers as they enter the Super Bowl. That is absolutely in play. Say it with me, boys. Brock Purdy, big blank Brock against Magic Mike with the New York Jets. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind. One's got to go is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for ones gotta go. You give us four options. We will tell you which ones gotta go. By the way, before we get to that, some baseball news. This comes from Jeff Passan. Cardinal signed Kimbrel. No, uh, right-hander Trevor May and the Oakland Athletics are in an agreement on a one-year deal worth seven million dollars. Uh, May is thirty-three years old. He's getting a one million dollars signing bonus. He can make up to five hundred thousand dollars in performance bonuses. The reason why I bring this up, Alex, is because I think that pretty much sets the mid-tier relief market now. Trevor May was a guy that we had brought up as a potential candidate for the Cardinals that could make sense for them. There's a bunch of others. This is not like the starting pitching pitching market where there's like two players that could make sense for them. Uh, Adam Adovino, Craig Kimbrell, Seth Lugo, Corey Knable, Matt Moore, Andrew Chafin, Michael Fulmer, Fulmer, excuse me, David Phelps, and there are others. They're all still out there. So if you want to shop in this market, you still can. That kind of sets where it's going to be. It's about the seven to ten million dollar range Great. for that like high leverage relief. Go get Michael Fulmer then for that mount. Seven million dollars, Michael Fulmer. Your bullpen's better. I think your team's better for that type of signing. I also think that we should bring up because Tanner mentioned during the break when we talked about this. Hey, why don't you just go get two of those guys? If the payroll's truly going up. Go get two of those players that can help you. I, I think that we underestimate how full this bullpen is right now. Now we can disagree on whether or not it's a a good bullpen. But they do have a lot of guys that are probably guaranteed to have a spot going into the season. Helsley, Gallegos, Hicks, and Stratton for sure fit into that mix. That's four of your likely eight relievers going into the season. I think if Drew Verhagen is healthy, I know, famous last words, nobody wants to hear him, but it's true. He's probably going to be a guaranteed spot on this roster. And then Rodriguez, who they took in the Rule 5 draft, if he looks good in spring training, the only way they can keep him on the roster is if he's on the 26-man roster throughout the season. So he'll, he'll probably be there as well. That's six of your eight. And I didn't mention Palante or Hudson or Cabrera. You're you're getting pretty full in that bullpen quickly. So I think that if they sign one, it's likely only one player that the Cardinals end up getting from their There's bullpen. There's no such thing as a sure thing in this Cardinals bullpen. I want the best damn talent in there, and if you're not talented enough to be in there, you're not in there. All right, there you go. Let's get into one's got to go. 65780 is the error comfort service. Next slide, you give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Let's start with this. One's got to go. Team you definitely don't want to see win the college football playoff this year. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, or Ohio State. Which one would you like to eliminate? from winning the college football playoff because you just don't want to see him win this year? Probably Georgia because I think the other three or more are pretty intriguing. Like, I don't really have any interest in Ohio State, but, it, I mean, it would be a little bit more entertaining than just saying, oh, hey, Georgia got there again. Plus, I kind of have this dirty feel about Stetson Bennett like I had about Zach Wilson. I just don't like them. So, I'm going to say Georgia. I'd, I'd like them to lose. 
I'm with you. I, I would eliminate Georgia just because I think there's better storylines from the other three. And I'm really rooting for TCU, a team that's never been there before. But Georgia, I, I just don't want to see a repeat. They've been dominant the last handful of years. I, I just don't like them anymore. I'm, I'm ready to get them out of here. So I would say Georgia for sure. I would say Georgia as well. We're going to go ahead and sweep this one. I don't need to see them win the college football playoff this year. We know they're the best team in the country, and it would make for some really compelling or a really compelling final if they're not involved in it. So let's get an upset. Let's get some fun in the college football yeah, playoff. Look, BK actually likes fun for once. Yeah, just this one time. One's got to go cold weather edition out in the fan. If you say Florida, I'm going to punch you in your nose. <laughs> No, I would never say that. Florida ain't cold. One's got to go cold weather edition with your family. Option number one, going to a snowy football game. Option number two, Art Hill sledding. Option number three, ice skating at Forest Park. Or option number four, snowboarding at Hidden Valley. Alex, which one's got to go? I'm assuming the snowy football game is like you're playing, not going to watch a snowy football sure. game. You're playing. You could have it be either way. Whatever you prefer. Well, there's a big difference there. If I'm playing in the football, that would be fun. Alex, I don't know, man. It came from a text line. <laughs> Maybe you should ask these questions, man, and not just like passively like, oh, hey, well, not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you can determine that for your choice. I'll, I'll go the football one because I don't really think I don't think my, my one-year-old and four-month-old will have a lot of fun in the uh, snow playing football. So we'll get rid of that one. And I'm the one that hates fun. I would I would keep that. I think. Did even, you hear the other three? Snowboarding, sledding, and ice skating. I would get rid of sledding. I, you know, what is wrong, dude? Fine. It's Art Hill. I know, but I. I know you're from only Illinois. No need for the shot, but uh, I um I could care less about sledding. Like the snowboarding don't go fine. sledding. Do you, you know, know what Art Hill fun. is? I, I just want to. I'd rather watch football than go sledding. I don't care where it's at. Sledding out. Dude, that hill is incredible. You don't go care. onto the frozen lake. Yeah, don't care. That's safe. That's, yeah, it's that sounds fine. dangerous. It's fine. Well, don't be a wimp. I am very bad at snowboarding. I mean, I would I, assume you're bad at all three of these. Yeah, I would assume you're bad at ice skating and snow or sledding. And I'm not a good skater. Don't get me wrong. But I can... I can glide. Are you that guy that holds on to the wall? Like, oh, no, that's, that's my wife. Um, <laughs> I picture Kara pushing him from behind. <laughs> I picture Kara taking him out by the knees. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I got a bad knee now? Um, snowboarding ends really poorly for me. I cannot stand up on that thing. It's just like I stand up, I start to go down, right on my hip, right on my face. You don't know, need it. Balance, right? No, I'm, I'm aware. I just don't have that in me. So snowboarding at Hidden Valley, completely out out of my realm. Dude. You want to go skiing? I got you. I can go down. I, I can ski. I cannot snowboard. It is impossible. You, you were a roller skater, not a roller blader, weren't you? Of course. I need two rows of wheels. I can't do it on just this one row. I, I will never understand how people at uh, at Sonic used to be able to do the roller. Oh, God, they still blades. do it. It's, an, it's amazing. One's got to go. Cardinals Outfield Edition. Carlson, O'Neal, Newbar, or Burleson. I'll get rid of Burleson. I'm saying, can I we be honest? I feel three. like this one's easy. <laughs> you got to get rid of Burleson. You need the other three if you want to be successful this season. Oh, so you hate left-handed hitters, huh? No, I kept one. Dylan Carlson's a switch hitter. Lars Newpar's a left-handed kind of. hitter. I think the Cardinals are admitting that Burleson's the one that's got to go by saying they're still in the outfield market. So that's my <laughs> Sorry, only explanation. Sorry, Alec. Sorry, Alec. You got to go. I'm with you guys. This one feels pretty easy to me. I, I also think that it is Alec Burleson. I, 
We might have to do like a is it crazy type of a segment. Is it crazy to think Alec Burleson could be starting in the outfield for you by the end of the year? Yes, because I think he's like seventh on the depth chart in terms of outfielders for this team. Is it crazy? Though? If Alec Burleson's starting in the outfield for you, man, did you miss on everybody. If Alec Burleson starts in the outfield, I mean, Tebow last will eat his underwear. Going into the playoffs, they had Corey Dickerson starting in the outfield. Corey Dickerson's And a better you see why I want to add a certainty in the outfield. Now, now you know why I wanted Andrew McCutcheon. One's got to go Cardinals starting pitching edition. Carolina's throw down. What? He's not, a, he's not a Cardinal. I wish he was. <laughs> he's not, though. Miles Michaelis, Jordan Montgomery, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty. One's got to go Cardinals starting pitching edition. One's Ooh. got. Well, I know who the text line would get rid of. Well, Flaherty for sure. Yeah. I don't I, want to go first. Why I'll be the villain. Go? I'll be the villain. <laughs> you and I are thinking I the same thing. I will wear this one for the team. <laughs> Thanks, Tanner. I'm yep. sorry, number 50. I love you. But the other three are better at this point, so I got to say Wayno. He's got to go. You need the other three to be better at this point. If they're not, your team's not going anywhere. So I hate to say it too, but I, I think 50 would have to go. I love St. Louis. Yeah, there he is. There he is. And for that reason, I'll get rid of Jack Flaherty. Getting rid of Steven Matz. It wasn't an option. Oh, man, he's cool. I know he's not an option. Uh, oh, man, he's cool. Jordan Montgomery. I'll, I'll get rid of him. Get rid of the, get rid of the I can't lefty. Believe, I can't believe you guys Talk about would get rid of Adam boss. Wainwright. Adam Wainwright, a legend here in St. Louis, Alex Ferrario. Do you not remember 2006? You didn't want to start in the wild card game. I don't talk about that. That's that's the past. The past is the past. Do you remember 2006, that curveball? I was, the, I was 20. So I was 16? No. Since you? I was seven. Two, I can't remember a lot from then. Him and Yachty hugging right at the mound. 2020 during the pandemic. The complete game by Adam yeah, Wainwright. Yeah, they put the masks on and hugged. I remember Last it. Last year, breaking the record for starts between a battery mate. It was phenomenal. You know what, Adam? Right off into the sunset. And you're telling me that you're getting rid of that guy from this rotation. You're the you're the uh, culture guy. And you're getting rid of the guy that brings the culture to the team? Okay. I can't believe you. Horticulture. That's horticulture. What is What a disgrace you are to the, to the city of St. Louis. Why don't you just move? I can't believe that you would do that to Adam Wainwright. 65780 is the air comfort service text, text line. line. Handle that. For one's gotta go. One gotta go. Cardinal recent legend edition. Oh, you're just baiting me into this one. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Holiday, Jim Edmonds. Recent legend? Last 20 years. Are we already considering Arenado and Goldschmidt legends? Yeah. Okay. Holiday. You know what? Why don't you start Edmonds. this one off for us, buddy? I'll let you guys go. No, first. no, 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 no. Please, ladies first. You start this one off for us. This Which one's, one's got to go? It's going to be dead air because BK's going first. I'm going to go unpopular opinion again. <laughs> I think it's Holiday. Edmonds was wow. a part of the MV3. The bench coach. Provided Jeez, gold glove caliber. He joins the station every Friday. I know. I think he's on today. It's kind of awkward. Later on this afternoon. Yeah, I think. I think he's on later. Matt, oh, I love you, man. Gonna, gonna I'm sorry. Uh, but like, I when I look at it, Goldie, Arnado, top three MVP finishes this year. Both great defensively, all-around players. 
the only thing that I think knocks Holiday here was defense, and I think that's why I not, knock him out of here. I'm old school. I love some good defense. He's going to knock you out of here, too, when he hears this cut. BK, you're next, sir. Go ahead and look up your stats so you can BK build it up. I think it's Jim Edmonds. I'll go ahead and say that and then just leave it be. Uh, I'm going to need you to back that up a little bit, sir. It's because his well bacon's not good. I like batting average. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> I actually think I have audio of you saying batting average doesn't matter, but doesn't sure, why not? I, I got rid of all of those. Uh, I and actually, by the way, don't look up uh, Jim Edmonds' batting average. I actually think I'm going to go different than all of you. I'm going to go uh, Paul Goldschmidt. You I got my the big fundy? Yeah, I got, I got my first baseman in Albert Pujols. He's loads of fun. Now he is loads of fun, but uh, I, got, I got to keep my other three. All right. That's unbelievable. Hey, Albert if you missed Pujols, anything man. from today's show, be sure to player. check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101ESPN app. That is where you find it. If you want to follow along this weekend as you were watching the NFL slate, I've got the Bengals minus the three and a half points. I've got the Chargers minus the three and the Cowboys minus four. Alex has the Patriots minus seven, or excuse me, the Patriots Jeez, plus now you're just ruining it. the Bills minus the seven and the Lions minus one and a half. Tanner is going with the Eagles minus the nine points. He's got the Giants plus the four and a half, and T-Bone is going to be taking the Ravens plus two and a half as well. Those are our weekend picks. We'll react to all of those on Monday, depending on how we do. We'll talk to you guys then. Coming up from two to six, it is the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Start a journey, not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen. And galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at Gravitationally Bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.